and welcome to ClapperCast. I'm your host as always, Carson Tamar, and today I am joined once again by Niccolo Grasso and Mr. Editor-in-Chief Jack Luke Sharp as we begin our string of looking at older releases to start off the year, starting with 2004's Bad Education. Somewhat based on Pedro Almodovar's own life, the film offers the perspective of a young man who is a filmmaker who begins to think back to his life growing up in a church. Not only a church where he was abused by a priest, but also where he found his first love. He begins to put these complex emotions into a film, and the film from there unravels slowly, revealing multiple twists and turns. The film is complex in its usage of representation and perspective, and today on the podcast, not only do we discuss our thoughts on bad education, but we also discuss a larger concept of Pedro Almodovar as a filmmaker. We discuss what is special and what works within his filmography, and what hasn't really aged particularly well, while also asking the question of what is next for the filmmaker. As always, thank you so much for listening and watching the podcast. If you want video, there is a video option on YouTube. If you want just audio, it is available on most major podcast platforms. And with that, let's get to the episode. Enjoy our review for Pedro Almodovar's Bad Education. Por mi culpa, por tu culpa. Hola, señor Berenguer. Buenos días, padre Manolo. Ese hombre tiene una gran deuda conmigo. Ha llegado el momento de que la pague. No me gusta verte así. Esas cartas no son necesarias. Dámelas. Cuando me entregas el dinero. El padre Manolo. Yo no soy padre ni de mi propio hijo. Para cosas malas las dos juntas, pero para la buena tú sola. Okay, and Nick, I'm going to turn it over to you first to start our discussion on Pedro Almodovar's Bad Education. What did you think of the film? I know you were pretty fired up, at least behind the scenes, about this one. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, anytime I get to talk about Pedro Almodovar, which doesn't happen often, surprisingly, um, I'm very, very excited, especially since we're talking about one of his most popular films, but still not as popular as others, you know. Um, La Maleducación, uh, Bad Education, I first watched it back in 2019, this be- beautiful, beautiful period. Um, you were a young lad, Carson, you probably didn't know, uh, but there was a magical time in life where Mubi would give free subscriptions to university students, and it was gold, um, and I lied and I said I was going to graduate in 2022 so that I could have the free subscription till 2022. Not even two months after I did that, they started charging students a discount fee. It was like, ah, oh, nice. I have a free movie. Uh, and they were doing this whole retrospective because Pain and Glory had just come out in 2019. And so I watched a lot of these movies. Um, some of them, you know, they kind of start to blur together after a while. <laughs> I was looking back, I was like, I genuinely don't know, like, dark habits and what have I done to deserve this? Like, I don't know the difference between the two. I barely remember anything. But Bad Education, I remember clearly. And rewatching it, I almost forgot just how dense this film is. First of all, it's just... I, it, it's pure melodrama, as pretty much almost every Pedro Almodovar movie is. Uh, indulges a lot in sweeping music, big drama, people crying, strong emotions, there's murders, there's sex, there's betrayal, backstabbing. Uh, it's almost this twisted version of Alfred Hitchcock's, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, where it's all about like what's reality and what's fake, and the person who's another person, and the reincarnation, and the coming back. Oh, it's very trippy. Um, it's one of those movies that the more you start to think about it with 
real life logic, the more it starts to fall apart. And that's kind of the beauty of it. It's very much its own thing. It's its own creature. It's a movie that belongs in the realms of movies. <laughs> it doesn't belong in our reality. Um, controversial for sure. I imagine we're going to talk about a couple of, I'm not, I, don't, I don't even want to say outdated elements, just you know, questionable. Pedro Almodovar has definitely some issues when it comes to uh, sexual abuse or like consent in his movies, big issues when it comes to trans representation, which is like, uh, you know, Pedro is going to some um, dangerous territory right there. But still, overall, um, I think this is a very, very good film. Uh, probably like a top five, top six Almodovar for me. Um, and Gael Garcia Bernal. Like, we don't talk about him nearly enough as a performer. He's like a patron saint of sensual cinema. He loves to make them horny films. So, yeah, this was very, very good. I guess I can jump in quickly. Um, Pedro Almodovar is a guy, I think like a lot of people discovered him with Pain and Glory. Um, since then have gone on, especially kind of this past week, and really try to view a lot of his work, a very big filmography. So I don't think anyone's probably seen them all. Um, bad education. I think like continually though with his filmography, I have this narrative where there are some that stand out of like really wanting to love his work and just feeling like I can't fully say a lot of them like hit that high point for me. Mm -hmm. Bad education kind of falls in that camp for me. I think there's a lot here that's good. Nick, I think you have a very good like overview of this. Um, there's a lot of interesting conversations around performance, around sex, around, um, reality and what's fictional i love that you mentioned vertigo ebert also did in his review i think that's a very good comparison kind of for inspiration here um i think this is probably one of the most fun or i guess rather like worthy uh almodovar films when it comes to unraveling itself and unraveling what's really happening is a very engaging watch um as little things get revealed here and there um but for some reason there was something here that i felt like was just missing for me as far as it being this really strong personal reflection or having this really like poignant point, there's a lot here that it gets discussed, sexual abuse, um, growing up queer, growing up with the religious, um, like conversation between religion and queerness, um, filmmaking, finding emotional catharsis through filmmaking, using uh, film to digest and understand things. Um, I think those are all worthy points, but I don't know if it quite comes together. And I question this was made in, what, 2004. I question if, because we know a lot of this is very close to Almodovar's life and we know a lot of this is very personal, I wonder if he just wasn't fully ready to hit it as strong as he did with, like, Pain and Glory, for example. Yeah. Um, but for me, this is a film I constantly wanted to love. But coming out of it, I, I think it's really good. Don't get me wrong. I just think I can't say I quite love it, at least on a first viewing. And I am shocked for being so popular and being so dense. There really isn't like a lot of people out there talking about this film. I'm um, normally with a film like this. I try to see, you know, if there is interviews online. Um, I try to read people's opinions, watch people's opinions. And there really isn't that many people talking about the film, which feels weird because I do think it is probably one of the more worthy Almodovar films when it comes to discussion. Mm -hmm. Um but for me, it was just, it was one step behind, I think, where I wanted it to be. But that also might have just been false expectations with what it was going to be. So, I don't know. Jack, what were your thoughts? Well, just be, <laughs> you two don't know I'm going to do this, but I'm going to, don't, don't be worried. I'm not going to say anything scandalous. But I, I do have to start with a, that I, I, we've had a complaint um, off, a, off a listener. Um, last Friday, 
uh, sorry, no, last uh, last podcast that we did, our recording, uh, we did Ferrari, and I um, I misquoted something. Um, I used the word um, ethereal to describe the ending of, of Michael Mann films, and I've been notified by a, a, an avid viewer who happens to be my wife uh, that the actual pronunciation is ethereal. So I just want to apologise to that, uh, that that person uh, that won't <laughs> happen again. Um, but to, to, to go back onto our mode of our... Out the out the two of us, sorry, out the three of us here. I'm not overly sure about Carson's viewing, but I, it's, it, you two have a far greater grasp on this director's filmography than I do. Um, out of a, a lot of prominent contemporary filmmakers, I have I throw my hands up here and say that Aldomovar is probably the most blind spot I have. Um, I've never gone out and watched these films, um, partly due to access and partly due to. Um, interest um, because they just don't crop up my first one um, was a human voice at the bf um, at london film festival two years ago, oh, nice. years ago now. yeah um, which i thought was fine um but just yeah. a short film just a 30 minutes film um but again a film festival and then uh, venice parallel mothers i watched as well not knowing it was uh, i'll do so my experience with it has been so on a festival run and then last year midway through um i was like right i'm gonna get a lot of stuff out of my system. I'm going to watch a lot of stuff I want to watch. I want to watch more queer stuff. I want to watch more um, independent work, older films. Um, and I watched um, So Excited, the, uh, the the comedy on the uh, the, the airplane, um, which I thought well, was did fine. Did you like it? I thought yeah. it was fine, yeah. I think it has an interesting sensibility and I think it echoes a lot of his comedic sensibility and sentiment to a lot of issues. There's a lot of sexual melod- melodrama. It's very tongue-in-cheek. Um <laughs> again representation is a very interesting thing in his work he's incredibly queer and it comes to his work wholeheartedly and i think it's quite quite a tremendous piece of uh, material that he puts forward so when carson said um had a bad education i was like right i'm gonna watch this i wanted to be part of the podcast and um i haven't seen anything else however i i, I do i am um within reason i do understand quite a lot of the context around his filmography so while you were saying about um, Pain and Glory, Carson, mine was The Skin I Live uh, in, the 2010 one. That was the notoriety. That was like, oh, okay, this guy's uh, relevant to, to, to filmmaking. And like now, through, through me being awakened to who, who this was as a filmmaker, let's say, just in the, in the public um, sphere. Um, and I think that answers your question a little bit later on about why this gets quite lost, because I think that's the one where it's like, oh, shit, there's a lot of things there. But that's, that's another podcast. Um I'm I'm probably in the middle here, more so. More so, I, I I quite like this film. I'll say this much. When it opens, to me, echoed sort of this aesthetic of a Brian De Palma film, which is interesting in tone for me because I was like, oh, this is going to be quite dark. I wonder how he's going to do com- comedy because for me, it's always just been comedic and then some really dark stuff in parallel mothers really dark stuff again it goes back to the franco regime here this is what was advertised as like franco regime in the 60s and stuff um it's not a brian de palma film i think it it, it wants to be in, in part but i think this is a film that touches so many types of genre so much types of tone and thematic is like oof, it's very difficult to sort of um take in 106 minutes as well it's not long but it it touches on everything the one thing here I felt maybe that Carson said about there's one thing that's slightly missing. For me, this isn't a violent film through physicality. This is a violent film through um, dialogue. 
this this is the age of innocence in 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 uh, being a nasty film in Scorsese's filmography. I feel like from what I've seen, this is just an incredibly vicious, nasty film where we're we're we're, we're talking about stuff. People are saying stuff to each other, horrid stuff. There's manipulation. There's blackmail. Um, there's 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 horrible sort of themes going on here. But it, again, there is um there is uh, sexual violence here. You don't see a lot of it, although although there, it is pre- prevalent. Um, it's almost sort of a lot of it. It's spoken, which I found made it even more uneasy because it was all, almost watching this as in again what Carson said. It feels like a, a retroactive biographical um underbelly here and it felt like a director was probably getting it on screen to even comment to himself to commit to himself that this happened it's very um uh, what what's the the uh the the the, the word it, it's it, it's not lethargic it's um cathartic cathartic sorry my brain's everywhere um it, it felt like a very cathartic experience but it also felt very difficult to watch at times um mm-hmm. There's a lot going on in this film, a lot. So I'll, I'll move on very quickly here. I, I liked it for what it is. I think it's a really, really interesting fil- film. How it tackles uh, framing narratives, very interesting. Uh, it's 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 very difficult to watch at times. It's, it's it's almost like a very evil film. But I do think that it, because of what he's done post this, especially in, in the skin I live in, with with its representation, specifically how it does it within the horror aspects of it, this has has, has been pushed to one side when really. This probably says a lot about Almodovar as a filmmaker in how he crafts, as well as his input into the themes. Granted, the representation here is a very interesting in two thousand and four, which is again two decades ago now, um, which which is, uh, granted, you can sort of give a, a slightly way to the representation that he's putting on screen. However, he's been quite a proponent of putting trans um, representation or authentic trans representation on screen as well. Um, so there's a lot, lot to divulge. I wouldn't even know where to start. But from what essentially is my first go- going back to a film filmography, uh, this was fascinating, fascinating. Um, I don't know where, Cassie, you want to go after that, but um, but yeah, th- th- there's a lot to break down here in terms of everything. Really, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you lead the way. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting. I like that um, you bring up the blackmail and everything, and you're like, oh, that's a lot. I, just prepare yourself for when you watch all of Pedro Almodovar's films, <laughs> yeah, yeah. very in line with all of them. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess maybe we can start with, I think we all kind of mentioned the representation throughout this film. Um, specifically, I think the trans representation is very interesting. Something Almodovar has been very interesting with when you look at the skin I live in, the skin you live in, I forget what the actual I live film in, is yeah. titled. Yeah. yeah. Um, very interesting how Almodovar and kind of, I guess, tying multiple points together in the sense of like, I think in that film, you have some very strange representation in that, but you also have this element of camp that I think really kind of tries to tie itself all together. I'm not a big fan of that film, just to be honest. So like, maybe I'm not the best to defend it and bat for it. But like, I hear you don't really have any camp and you mentioned also the comedy. I think that's something that is not lacking per se because i don't think you necessarily need a ton of camp in this type of film um but i find with the representation it's interesting to see almodovar attempt to have very i would say in his mind like genuine wholesome these are empathetic characters um trying to just kind of live their lives and deal with what's happened to them um under a modern context though both i think you could read into their implicit motivations for 
what they why they are trans um you can read into the performers they got like when you read into it i definitely think it's probably the area of this film that i struggle with the most under a modern context not to start like the podcast on a very like serious note but i don't know if you <laughs> guys have any thoughts on that where like i think if looking at it that's probably the biggest and i think that's with almodovar in general with all these filmmakers we talk about that are older i meant we are like oh go watch their filmographies i think it's probably best for pedro people don't like fully go into all of his works i think a lot of them aged quite badly to be honest yes um, <laughs> But I think that's probably one thing here that I struggle with. And it never really has, again, like, I think with Almodovar, he constantly has these ideas where it's like, there could be a really interesting read here about trans life, about trans empathy, but it never feels like it wants to have that conversation fully. And I feel like that with a lot of Almodovar's themes and topics and discussions throughout his filmography, where it's like, this character, yes, is a human, yes, has these things. I don't think it's awful awful representation but it never has like that soul or that scene that really hammers it in i don't know if that's (laughs) nick you might disagree i i actually agree no no no. i i think more often than not maybe even always to be honest um almodovar uses trans characters more more to the service of the plot and the lead rather than treating them as their own character i think it was it's very telling in a way that you know, it can be twisted and we're doing criticism here. So we can twist it into a very positive. It's like, oh, in this movie, you're always seeing the trans character's perspective from someone else's point of view. So you're always getting different people's perception of reality, but you never get their perception of reality. The only objective piece of truth of Ignacio's um, life is the final piece of paper that's 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 delivered. That's like the the the... the, the uh, you know, yes, the, the last piece he ever wrote in his life, and it's not even finished. So I, I think it's interesting. We can twist it into a way of like how the how Ignacio's li- uh, voice is removed and taken away from them, and all of that. But eh, you know, the 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 pedophile priest gets a way more character and sympathy <laughs> than than the junkie trans woman. Like it, it never changes the name. Even that's kind of interesting because it's always ignacio people always refer to her as him like it's it's tricky even in terms of pronouns like i don't know i i i think this subject has come up multiple times in his films and yeah yeah i really love that's also the weird thing like i think almodovar has three different types of projects that he always makes it's either a comedy like women on the verge of a nervous breakdown it's either a grounded drama like Padres Maraleras and uh, Dolori Gloria. But then you have these genre exercises, you know, things like this, like the skinny living, like the musical that Jack mentioned. So th- th- I, I think those are the most complicated movies of his because he's trying to juggle all these different tones. And for me, it worked. Um, it's definitely gripping, which is something that I was not expecting, especially seeing it again for for a second time after like four years, five years. But I don't know. It's I I I don't remember where I read it, but like someone was asking at the end, what's the message of this movie? And I was like, well, I really don't know, <laughs> you know. So I'm interested if that's like if we're going to uncover it in some way by the time we finish this conversation, but. That's something that I found interesting. It's like, what's what's the message of this movie? Because it's, I don't, I don't even know if there's a message. If there's supposed to be a message here. Um, I definitely come away with a lot of conflicted emotions, but I kind of like that. I like that it's definitely a movie that poses a lot of questions to the viewer, and it's almost up to you to 
uh, deciphered them. But in terms of what you were saying, Carson, I especially agree rewatching this movie. Like, why didn't I love it the first time around? Because like halfway through, I was like, this is pretty great. Like, I'm I'm in it. Why didn't I love it? And I think the ending, we're talking about like the last five minutes. It's not that they are like bad, but they're just completely underwhelming. It almost feels like he didn't know how to end it. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, it's it's lacking like that that punch. I think like the final shot of Dolori Gloria, one of the finest final shots of the last few years, in my opinion. Just like, you know, the reveal of, of what you've been watching. It's incredible. Um, even for better or worse, the skin I live in, <laughs> or or all about my mother, Valverde, like all these movies have like terrific endings. This movie, it's almost great throughout. Up until the ending, like that final scene, like you're supposed to come out crying almost, like oh he finally got the message of his lover. We're spoiling the shit out of this, by the way. But like he's he never gets to spend time with them. Like yeah, but he doesn't like. It's not like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Like it's not that type of like oh it was doomed from the beginning. It's like oh it's yeah it's sad. And this box is just <laughs> common screen. Here's what happened later. Even that element feel it's very campy. It's very, you know, it's part of his melodrama, it's part of his brand being very like in your face with the style. There's one shot where like a child's head is bleeding and he cuts like the frame in half and he moves uh, he splits his head open in a literal sense in the edit. So there's some very clever, kitschy effects that he uses, but yeah, it doesn't land in the finale. I find him to be quite an expressionist director, and, and throughout mm-hmm. the themes that I've seen, and I know of him in context, having having done multiple essays, done a lot of writing about him as a filmmaker, and and, and listened to a lot of people talk about him and write about him, etc. Um, he's an expressionistic expressionistic director on repression, and I think that's really an interesting uh, ideology to go through as a filmmaker because it political um, expressionistic and, and stuff like that, like with the, with, the, with the German stuff, and then you've got specifically in queer, it, it's really interesting because repression is, is, is sort of experiencing something and not experiencing it at the same time. It, it's like a, a really strange um, theoretical viewpoint because, you know, and, and it goes back to the issue of representation as well here because you bear in mind, I think, again, I'm not the greatest person to talk about this, just from my, my opinion of looking at film studies. You know, queer film has sort of been on the back burner since, let's say, what, let's say it really had a turn in the 60s and then the 70s, and then, then it goes into the mainstream in the 80s, uh, and then you have the MPP, MPAA with the 90s and two, two, early 2000s really pushing back on American stuff. Again, there's someone here who's far better to talk about that. I mean, I'll let them go, go after. But I find that there's been so much sort of repression in that in that sensibility about filmmaking that it's had a lot of time then to catch up on and i think if you if you if you run before you can walk of no fault of your own of course um you're going to trip up and make mistakes and i do think a lot of representation on that front um especially in 2004 i can give a slight leeway to that being said knowing that he's incorporated in queer cinema to to the uh, intro at the top of his hairline like this man is engulfed in, in, in a wonderful way and that he's had representation of, of trans queer all of it throughout his filmography there really shouldn't be an excuse and also then to bring um a south american actor in and not actually use a spanish actor i find fascinating as well i think we should get on that a bit later but to get back to the point about about representation especially about repression i think that that's a difficult film to sort of try and push forward to uh, an audience because it's only the people who have had repression 
uh, or have been repressed, should I say, about sexuality, about image. Everyone else is fine. Everyone else lives their life. You don't see the pain and you don't see the 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 humbling of those people by by a, a group of other people who let them say what it is don't really give a shit after the fact once it's once it's been pushed aside you don't you don't you don't entertain it so it, it's interesting to sort of see that on a cinematic level and here i think he's trying to echo the same sentiments of an audience not really getting to experience what they just should have experienced and i think Carson, I, I, I you come in after this on a second just to, to back this up because you've done a wonderful essay in the, in the making of it not to to to, to make you up here because because it but you'll be better than here there but i think this film throughout, I think that's why the ending. I, I agree with 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 you, Nick, about the ending, but I've got issues with it on a, on a separate front. But the fact that nobody in this film gets what they want through rep, 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 excuse me through repression of society, political stuff, having their childhood taken away, others having to make do with other things that then form a, a lifestyle that that that's paining everyone else, but ultimately it's the, the one that they've, they've had to choose because of. Um, factors throughout their life because of the big characters in this film it's very difficult to sort of express that on a cinematic level i think he achieves it here because i don't think he gives the audience what essentially they want with a finale and i also don't think he gives the characters what they want there is no one who ends this film in a in a happy note they they have these characters have an indication of seeing perhaps the reality in in in, in what's happening they have um knowledge of other things that have happened and they have some semblance of 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 hope knowing that you know people have, have, have got what they deserve but in the same token they sort of start where they begin um, and i don't think it's a fulfilling thing for an audience to sort of participating because you don't feel a character development but i think this really does represent the idea of, of of just repressed people in the fact that you know these people are openly gay openly queer op- open with their own sexuality but repressed in a societal sense, uh, um, um, a physical sense as well, whether you know, and, and also through a sense of, of probably being able to live their own lives on, on their own accord. So I think I think the justification is probably works better on that. For me, on the thematic, I think I think it's fine. But it, it just it, Carson, if you come in after this, because I, I do feel that there's a, there's an ideology here of repression, and I think it is well 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 showcased. It's just not very fulfilling for an audience who, who come into this and probably perhaps don't understand not not understand it but haven't lived that like that. I don't I don't know. Perhaps if I was if I was queer now I'd, I'd see this. I would find this story far more heartbreaking than, than it already is to me. It's it's actually quite like um, queer and Catholic. Yes, yeah, and which is the Spanish operandi, isn't it as well? And it also comes from from the the Franco regime of religion, um, communism, like stuff like that, and it, and it's. You, you get built around that ideology where you, you're a part of the people as well as God. But if you're queer, or God forbid, you, you, you want a fluid um, idea of gender or sexuality, you go against that, that, that ideology. So, uh, again, for me, I think it is a really good idea, idea of projecting that. But for an audience, it, it feels um, unfulfilling. But I think that's the point. This, this story is unfulfilling. It's horrifying. You know that there's, there's a lot of people within this narrative who have been repressed on other levels who who are never going to have that left. It's going to carry them like a scar, like a wound. And the fact that we start the story with it opening up, and we're trying to te- we're trying to um, ignore it and ignore it and ignore it until we get to that ending where, you know, 
Just, I think it's quite brutal that finale with with a note. We're going to expose it later, but that that's all I have to say on, on that front just yet. But it is a very dark, difficult film about um, repression on on multiple levels, haunting. It's about to say, I thought it was fucking brutal at times. Pardon my French. I mean, definitely a brutal film. I think that if you boil it down, Nick, you mentioned like what is the point or I guess message of the film and I also kind of like really had to think about that I think this piece overall is a more observational piece on looking at these events that happened in childhood and what that led to everything right all this led to this came from this traumatic event with these priests um, with the sexual abuse in that you could implicitly read repression of these priests in that religious conversation and what led them to be these terrible people um, but I think that's ultimately when you boil it down, you look at, yes, repression, but I think it all comes back to this observ- observational look at the effects and the aftermath and the consequences of these traumatic events that happened in childhood and where that pushed these characters, um, whether it pushed them into cinema and finding that as a release, whether it pushed them to try to escape what happened to them in multiple ways. I think that's especially where the film gets really questionable with its voice. Um, I think it all comes back to that in a way that I think is good. Again, I I just, I think it's weird because I think this film is, you mentioned Jack, like maybe you were queer, it would be more haunting to you because of the stuff with religion. I almost feel like it's like, it's so specific to these emotions that probably Pedro has from his time in the church. Um, mm-hmm. in his time with sexual abuse in the church. I almost feel like it's so personal to that that it's like even me, I feel like I'm on the outside, I guess, of the oh, emotional wow. trauma, which is good, but to a point. But like I it feels like I am even on the outside of the emotional trauma within the film. Cause it's not even really about like just being gay and being religious, right? That it's yeah, not even sure, like yeah. that. It's specifically this relationship with the priests. Um, which I think is still haunting. Like to be clear, like I'm not saying like it holds no power. Of it's course, a very course, haunting yeah film right everyone at home Um, but it it just feels like this is one of those expressions that is so personal that i feel like Pedro almodovar or people with that lived experience probably would find this like really reflective you know uh display of their truth i didn't feel that way i feel like that might be why there's some of a disconnect is that the emotions and i don't think the film even really does a ton of work to try to make that universal um which good enough. I don't think it needs to, right? When you're making this personal expression, the film itself is, you know, largely about um, the power of cinema. And when you display your truth on screen and you get that mirror back to yourself, the power within that. Um, So I'm not even saying that was like a complaint or like, I wish they did something differently, but I do think that is a consequence of some of the choices they make is that it feels like it pushes the audience. If you don't have this lived experience specifically um, to the outside, I guess I would say. Yeah. Further on that then, just to question you further on that, that, um, with its meta filmmaking about ex- expressing and exploring in context the film through the ideals of a script, a screenplay, then to a, a reality within the film, um, them shooting the film, to the substance of it, again, re- re-referencing the screenplay that's been written by one of the characters and about the trend representation, and then also the metaphorical viewpoint of the actual Pedro making this film about a film, about a film, about a queer story. Do you think that then further models and, and perhaps muddles the actual? I don't want to say ideology of the film because I think it's I think it's abundantly clear what this film is trying to get. Out, but do you think that message about just not perhaps the actual central story of just this innocence being lost? Do you think it overcomplicates itself then, or do you think it it, it it dejects itself from it and it wants to focus on the framing of this story rather than the actual substance of it? How then do you feel about that? 
I think it undoubtedly complicates it, but I don't think that's a negative thing per se. For me, I found that to be the most like, um, maybe not like the most haunting, but I found that to be the most engaging part that I emotionally mm-hmm. resonated with um, as someone I'm sure we all do, like who really uses cinema to like emotionally process. Like, and I think that also explains the identity of this film and just like tells you a pretty directly what the filmmaker is doing with the feature you are watching um for me it definitely complicates it but i think that that is kind of needed i think those two conversations work really well together um so i have no issues with it even though it does complex it does make it a very dense uh film even just trying to put like the timeline together especially (laughs) when you get like people who like take on the same persona let's say um like it makes it a very jumbled, dense feature that you kind of have to keep track of and unravel slowly and carefully. Um, but for me, I found that to be the best part of the film was the view of filmmaking. Yeah, I agree. Reason, I agree. Yeah, sorry. I, the, the only reason why I bring it up is because I, I think I quite like the framing because I think it, it's, it's a very strange because he doesn't particularly give you the insight of what he's doing at first. He lets you figure it out. Then, then he's quite conscious about it. This is Pedro, the director. Uh, that being said, I do think how then it reveals its third act protagonist it is quite difficult and the idea of vulnerability because you get you get um, Gail who starts crying about it and you don't quite understand the context of why this person just burst into tears. You think it's because of the actual um, uh, substance of the performance of what's just happened, but then you realise f- further on how that actually is quite frightening for that person to to once again relive it, which again works on this this subtextual meta meta level again like to, to quite actually uh, um, uh, a, a highlighted and undoubtedly quite genius level of um, projection, uh, especially with a narrative. That being said, I found that because it goes too deep into that at times and it wants to frame itself and then come back out slightly, but then frame itself back into this context. And then we get a reveal that well, a lot of what we've seen is actually through the context of, uh, of, this, of this film being developed. But then the third act reveal of this, this, third, this, this the actual priest comes to light. I find that when there was there was on screen and we have a again we have these conversations and we see a lot more backstory to what's happened. I think that's fine. That's the the, the melodrama in this film that works fairly well. But you don't really get this identification of that man is a fucking monster because you you haven't got the sequences before of him. So you and also the name is then changed. Um, for for a stranger because obviously that is had to leave the clergy and stuff like that and you. you, you becomes quite clear when the film moves on but you the, the film identifies a horror monster um who does horrific things who says horrific things who manipulates children and you 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 have this monster in your eyes and then it does this switch and bait reveal where actually that's not the person that's someone who's playing that person it, it slightly overcomplicates it for me in the, in, in the idea that for a lot of audience members including myself i was like oh, okay i then have to understand who this is and then this person does horrifying stuff I just thought there was like just a, um, I don't know, a, uh, uh, just a difficulty in accessing both images and, and who these people were. That's all. I, just, I, know, I, I, I want to push back a little, little bit on that. Go on. Um, mainly because I found it, I, I found that part, what you call like the bait and switch of the priest character of Padre Manolo, to be actually very interesting because the way we see him portrayed in the film, not only like the, I, I forgot to write down like the name of the actor, but just incredible. So, I don't know, just, just disturbing, slimy, mm-hmm. but in a way that's mm-hmm. not cartoonish. You know, it doesn't go over the top. It's so un- it genuinely unnerving, I think. 
um, in some scenes. But then, yeah, it's revealed that, oh, you're watching just the actor, and that's how he's written in the script. And so I found that interesting that you're still seeing, like, someone else's um, experience of these events from their perspective. So he's portrayed as an objective monster, and what he did is criminal. And then when you see him, you, you see his perspective, and he's trying to paint himself in... Let's say not not in a in a negative, but it's like ah, you know, I wasn't that bad, you know. But still, what he's doing is incredibly predatory. Like he goes back to his student's apartment, student that he abused when he was underage. He he, he was a pedophile, like straight up. And the door opens, and he finds a trans woman, and he's just like, "I'm out." Like, no, that's like that's your own thing. I, I I'm not turned on by this. But your younger brother in the other room, you know, with his shorts, and that's when he gets in- interested. And I, I, I was like, that's that's very upsetting. <laughs> I, was, I was like, this is fucked up because the way he's telling it, and the way almost it's shot, it's like, oh, you see, like the beauty of the boy's body, and it's like, oh, it's very sensual. But you're like, yeah, but you're still seeing it from like someone you know is a pedophile, and you really don't know how much younger one is. So it's like, Jesus Christ, like, he, he hasn't changed. He may have changed name. It's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Like, he's just, you know, sheds his, sheds his skin or whatever, <laughs> or all his wool. And he, like, comes back, but it's never changed, actually. I found that to be very very compelling. And, and the fact that you're like, oh, yes, like, I did those things, but, you know, I was a bit against them. And, like, he's the, he's the one that wanted to kill Ignacio, and I did this, and, like, He's painting his own picture of his own version of reality. And of course, if you're a monster, <laughs> like that's what we talked about in the Killers of the Flower Moon episode. Like if you're the one committing the heinous crimes, you know, from your point of view, you're still going to find ways to justify yourself. And it's not necessarily trying to make you sympathize with them. But I think it's important to show these layers of humanity to also remind you that, yes, they have choices that they make. Like people have make choices. <laughs> that lead to some horrible consequences. And I, I really hate that, like the way he acts, narrative-wise, in a good way, I mean, um, where he's essentially trying to ruin one's life. He's, he just comes on set, he's like, oh, I found out this is happening. Well, let me tell you a story now, okay? Because if I can't have who I want, neither can you. So I'm going to just destroy this man's life for you. You can never look at him the same way again. And I can just go on with my merry life, probably die of cancer because he's coughing his lungs out. You know, so I, I, I found that to be kind of the tragedy, the effective tragedy of the last act. Like that entire portion, like, oh, it's like a train wreck. It's like, oh, Jesus. Oof, it's rough. I'm kind of in the middle of both of you. Maybe Ooh. it's like nihilistic, but I always, with cinema, when you're talking about a topic like this that is very complex, very important, very evil, very explicit, like, I don't think there's any mm. argument, very evil. I always kind of think of like the low in, lowest common denominator of person who's going to go watch this and be like, I, I, you know, I trust us three to be able to morally parse what the film is saying. I always think the message needs to be clear to where every single person, no matter who you are, no matter what your comprehension skills of cinema, I think you need to come out of it and have a very clear message on like, is this evil or should we have sympathy for this character or what level of sympathy we should have? Um, 
Pedro Almodovar in general, I think, really struggles with that when it comes to sex and sexual abuse. Talk to her, like, specifically is a very, very, you know, controversial feature in that way. And it's one I really struggle with. Um, I think you need to have a scene that I appreciate, Nick. And I agree for, like, me. And I think, like, I get what the film is doing. I get this character. I have my moral stances against this character, obviously. So, like, for me, I have no issue. But I think you need to have, like, that really that scene that just like hammers it in at the end and says like no you shouldn't necessarily feel sympathy or this character is not innocent in any way this person is evil and should be condemned and is awful i don't think the film fully does that and especially like the sexual abuse in the church is like obviously a topic that's been talked about for a long time 2004 is a very different era than we were talking about in the context of now and that understanding of it and that acceptance of it i think it's a very dangerous game to have a character like this be open about this have it and then offer empathy or offer different perspectives and not really hammer it in i just think it's a very dangerous game i I don't know if any of you have seen the zone of interest um this year but like that's a film from glazer that i think like does a really good job at balancing that because i think it is worthwhile to show that these evil people are not like monsters from a fictionalized movie right they're just normal people no one like thinks of themselves and be like oh i'm really evil i'm Mm -hmm. just gonna ruin people's lives killers of the flower moon that's a good example no matter what my thoughts on the film are like that is an intention within that film is that these people do not think that they are necessarily bad. And what do you tell yourself to justify that mindset to where you can live with yourself? I just don't know if Pedro does that well throughout his filmography, but especially here. Um, So I think I'm kind of in the middle of like, I agree. I think little things like the name change and stuff, like I don't know if we need to be putting up so many walls between these characters, especially if we are, going to not necessarily have i in my opinion that very direct scene that says like combined like this needs the person needs to be judged um i just think it's a weird game to play but it's one that pedro and i think like you know i also just am speaking not with a ton of context here but from what i've seen i think spanish sensibilities with cinema and with sex in cinema is very different than other standards in a sense. Um, Not that it's good or bad in either way, but I just think we're dealing with a very different cultural understanding of these topics and of sex. And I wonder if that plays into it also. Um, What type of differences do you feel? I'm I'm interested just from From what I've seen. I think that they're very much or more, there's a lot less weight, I guess, given to sexual displays on screen Mm -hmm. um, to morally questionable sexual scenes. Um, I'm a big fan of the show Money Heist, which is terrible, but it's on Netflix. And like, there's multiple characters within that who've done really questionable sexual things, but then get empathy or then get um, reworked to be heroes by the end. Um, and it's very weird and questionable. But like, I find with Spanish content I consume, and again, not that it's good or bad, but I just think from like my sensibilities with it, it does feel like sometimes those topics get redemption a little bit quicker than I would like, or not necessarily justified as much as I would like. Not that this film like justifies him you know by the end you're not like why well, stand this guy um but it is something where i feel like you need to hold a little bit more weight and be a little bit more direct than you are yeah i i, I agree with carson here as well the, the way you explained it nick i think you give a lot more credence and, and credibility to it as a as an explanation rather than in the context of the film um, i think the way you you devise that works quite well i think the film gives a little bit more to be desired in the fact that if, if that's the sort of the ideology he was going to put forward in the film, why not use the exact same actor and then try and, again, let, let the performer 
craft that and let the performer make make himself to be a monster in the actual fact of what he's doing as, as in, in the clergy and then as, as someone who ultimately then becomes a normal walking part of society try and have that manipulation with the character uh, and I let the, the actual performer do do so because I, I also agree with Carson the fact that there's then a name change is a completely different person who we're trying to as an audience for the last what I would say 60 minutes at least or at least 70 minutes have looked at this person as destroying one, two, countless lives, in, in, in fact, but probably we're looking at two here to be to be unnerving for then it to get revealed to be something else. This, I think there's definitely this um, uh, immersion, this emotive cut-off where it's like, oh, okay, and then we have to then really build it up with this person. And secondly, I'll, not to, <laughs> not to retort, but I will do, to push back on your, your, your opinion of this person who, who brings a vulnerability I disagree that that actually that that's even apparent with this character. This character is then getting manipulated, and then the the it's, the tone of the film then changes in the fact that he as 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 it becomes not not vilified, but then we see a trans character blackmail him, and then there's sort of this weird juxtaposition of right and wrong. I don't know if our film, our father film, wants to, to to read into it, but then because they make make them and, and the the the, the, um, the the context of what they actually say in the film, a junker, then really makes this sort of right wrong. What what we actually looking at here again? I think it goes back to Carson's issue of the representation, but also that we see this. You don't really see a person of a performer that's allowed this ideal of vulnerability either. I think this person's obviously into quite horrid, seedy things. And then again, this person is reiterating the stance on, well, you know, things I didn't do were, were that bad. You know, I'm, I'm a human being and I'm trying to echo that. I don't think that the performance is that strong, partly because it's a different performer entirely. And secondly, because of the justification of what we know beforehand, we don't buy it. Gail might do, the, 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 the uh, performer in the film. I can't say his full name, I'll, I'll just butcher it. Um, but is it Juan? That's the, 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 the character's name. Juan might might find that because he doesn't because he doesn't understand the the uh, the, uh, the context of that character beforehand. So then, for me, it breaks itself into then two very distinctive parts. From that moment on, we get like a second film that feels, in essence, very much removed from everything beforehand, both visually because obviously we get a different character, and also emotively because we then begin to watch someone groom someone else. We. F- Somewhat forget Inacio's point of view, although they're trans and now they're a junker, and it's like okay, we'll leave that, and then we get this grooming part of here. Again, I appreciate what you say about we we we're, we're seeing this second wind of this person not really attend for the sins, but has come back for more. With with context of what we get revealed um, later on in, in in sort of flashbacks and this, the idea of narrative framing, but again for me. It just felt lacking. That's it. I think I agree with perhaps Kurt Carson a little bit more now about the, the the final act for me is just like a bit of a stump. It's like we get very strange representation. We get a very tonal representation and we get this counter um, argument of what we've been seeing on screen and it doesn't really hit. Because for me, if it was the same actor, but again, he couldn't do that with how he devises the framing. So he's, he's at a catch-22. He has no option aside from casting someone else. And again, I think there's a there's a far more ideal of genius that's that's there that hasn't been worked specifically quite well on that not necessarily a conflict of interest for the audience but then it, it sort of leads him to think oh i'm doing something quite genius here and there's this there's perhaps there's an inclination if he thinks 
he's doing something that's a shocking to the audience as a reveal, but also a very interesting sort of sentiment of how then he's going to predispose this character. Is he going to make them a, a human being? Because we've only seen the projection of this of, of Ignacio's script, and then we see it into a, into the actual screenplay. We've only got one radicalization, quote unquote, of a character, which I again think is a very very thin line between what are we doing here? Are we trying to suggest that what that this has not perhaps happened the way it has? Are we try? I I don't know. I think it becomes very very blurry, very blurry, very quickly. I don't know perhaps what he could counter that with. Does he just go the straight lace route? Would that be a better film? Um, I don't know. Would it be a sim- more simplistic virtue? Perhaps. Probably. Um, yeah. That's not Aldo Aldomavan, I'm sure. From what I've seen, there's there's a twist and turns, and then it goes into rectangles. And he, he loves his dark characters. <laughs> he yes. doesn't like to give you like as a, a a white protagonist in, in a like a morally. Scares yes. on a moral scale is never like oh they're a, they're a good person and those are bad people. It's like no, everyone's I, great. I don't think he gives credence to that character though. I don't think he gives the idea of the, the the filmmaker to be like, well, let's make this unnervy for the audience now. Let's try and project the idea that this priest isn't perhaps the bad person that he is, but then what that then creates for the entire thing we've seen before, murky waters. But I also don't think it's written as good as it could be in the sense of uh, of that. And also, we go into a different territory of a film like there. Then we, we we go from melodrama to something where it really wants to pinpoint um, grooming, uh, sexual assault, sexual violence, um, sexual in- insinuation. It becomes very difficult. What I think he, he granted, like like you said before, there's like three types of um, Aldo Almodovar films. This is definitely in the camp of the middle ground. I appreciate you. I, I think you're completely right there. My, I've seen all three now. Um, they're very interesting. They're all very interesting films. Uh, I do like these type of films more because I like the idea that we're, as an audience, we're going to have to witness something and we're not going to like a lot of these things. However, because it is 2004, those same things have a very different context now. So it, it, it is a film that I think justifiably is, justifiably is like Carson said earlier, like we have to give it, like, well, you know, there's a little bit of leeway. That being said, as a director and as a writer who he is, there should be a little bit more credence and context to, to de- devise that a little bit fl- less, um, not bluntly, but a little bit more fluidly. We can we can still make this person a horrid person, but we're, when we can, we can we can also write it in a way that the audience become intoxicated and perhaps groomed as well. On us, so this this um, uh, again, this that further meta level. I don't think the writing is is is, is strong there. And I also think as well, not to jump the gun, I appreciate it. I also think he also does the same with this finale. Those 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 little bits of the synopsis at the end, that's another half an hour to the film. So the film entirely. To do, to do that and not to give any character um, any sense of um, fulfilment and, 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 and finality, I think is, is a very dark, perhaps genius way to, again, represent that repression. But the way he does it in giving a synopsis off screen but as as a as a as as a title cards i i thought was both underwhelming and somewhat quite um anticlimactic in a way very jarring yeah and, and way, yeah and the way he died and the way he aesthetically devises that as well is another one was like okay the movie's I'm, over 
Yeah. Pack it in. I, I know there's, I appreciate there's a lot to break down there, but you know, I, I, these type of characters, are, like I, again, the namesake of Bad Education that we did a few years ago, Carson, is a similar type of grooming in itself, in a, in a, in a not necessarily grooming, like, uh, that's the wrong word, but this manipulation in that we are being suggested on screen a certain type of character. Uh, and then we find out the truth and then we find out a little bit more things about it. And we, we then get to have a second wind of really trying to uh, uh, identify and, and, and investigate into this character. I just don't think that that's, I think it's lacking here, but I don't think that's, I don't think you need attempts to even try and <laughs> attempt to do that. In my opinion, I don't know how you two would, uh, would respond. I, I think when you get too complex with complex morals like this, I just don't think Almodovar, like peace and love to him. I think he's very talented in a lot of ways as director and writer. I just don't think that's where he shines. I think something like, um, what did I ever do to deserve this? I think it's called like that feature from him is a very, like, I, I think you get, some complexity there surrounding abuse that is really interesting, but it's very simplistic as far as like, at the end of the day, this person's good. This person's dead bad. Yes. The person who's good does this, you know, horrendous thing, which spoiler alert, she like to everyone who hasn't seen it. Um, she murders her husband, but like her husband's abusive. So like, but you get this like context of like, Oh, but there is like layers to that. And it's not like the right thing per se, but I think like it's a simpler narrative that's to follow that. Then the moral complexity works. I just don't think here it works. I just don't think that's Almodovar's strong point, um, especially then when you're also blending, I'm sure, personal emotions in it. Again, like, I just think, like, this is kind of a tidal wave with bad education, like, of a lot of Almodovar's kind of worst traits. It, it a really worthy story, I think, really worthy perspective. But I think it's his worst traits as a writer kind of all coming together. Um, and I think that holds it back quite a bit yeah it's, it's the same feeling i had with parallel mothers when we watched it um at the festival run where again that was my, my first big one watching in, in a cinema and it's a strange story you start off as this as this uh, as a uh, two spaniards one relatively young one relatively a uh, middle-aged with penalty crews both having children something happens not to spoil it then something also horrifically happens then the two cross become sexual lovers and then something else also brutal happens and then at the end, they dig up um, um, a graveyard uh, where Franco's um, uh, enemies were, were buried, like, like hundreds of bodies, skeletons. And it's like, there's a lot of melodrama there curtailed by a political um, expression. Again, about uh, what he, he seems to do in here, you get a sense of it working, but working really well in the background. Like, uh, this all goes on under a fascist regime. Uh, the reason why there's no accountability, granted, it's still it's still in the in the seventies and the eighties here. So again, it's going back twenty years, even even in the context of when it was filmed. So it's interesting to sort of look at that and have it as a background where you can see the influence, but it's not like this. Um, it's not like this visual world or ever um, literal uh, dialogue on screen, but it's just there. Whereas in parallel mothers, he has to then demonstrate that's then a then a factor of perhaps. The issues that we're seeing on screen and, and the, the remnants of the past, perhaps that there's this, you know, just because these people are buried doesn't mean they're ever gone and we'll always find them. Very interesting themes, but in very two different type of tones. I think the same is here as well. I think there's, there's someone uh, trying to grasp a sense of, 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 of self-freedom, understanding that these things went on and having a cathartic viewpoint through cinema which I think is so in interesting and so engaging, which definitely elevates this material already for me anyway, knowing, having this discussion, also knowing Aldo Mavan, and we're all aware of, of, of where he's been brought up, who he is as a person, 
again, as a director within cinema, this film, again, with its context of the screenplay and its narrative, work wonders. But then it goes to try to be quite smart. Um, and not even to say smart as in it's like, oh, wow, we're going to do something crazy here. But it has to be very... Uh, God, how do, it, it, it's like it has to not have a judgmental viewpoint with its finale, even though it is an incredibly judgmental film. And I think that we're watching a paedophile. Like, I don't want, I don't want to... You, you have to be so... You have to be a miraculous type of writer and also a miraculously type of performer to try and showcase a person of utter disgust on screen and give them a sense of, of, of humanity. Because if you have any moral <laughs> standards, you reject the ideology straight away. Like you're not watching Downfall and watching Bruno Gantz and go, oh, what a terrible end. It's like, that man's Adolf Hitler. I don't have any 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 emotional engagement about that aside from the absolute terror that's on screen. But there's also Bruno Gantz is not trying to do that. He's not trying to make, you know, uh, Adolf Hitler. Granted, I'm going to go back to the film, don't get me wrong. But you're watching a film, you're watching a performer not try and give substance to a person, but to a character in the sense of that you can see he's just doomed. That's the ideology of the character. This one is different. This one is 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 trying to be trying to manipulate and groom his audience in the same way that perhaps the, ch- the two children was. And maybe there's a there's an interesting parallel there in the sense of that a manipulator is still a manipulator, even if they go after children mm. or if they go after your adult, you all you can still be a victim. You can still be someone who is who is attacked with this mentality and someone who is who falls into this this intoxication of perhaps someone who's older, someone who you think is wiser. Which I think is interesting considering that, you know, if you're nine or ninety, there are people out there that will swindle and, and manipulate people. It's horrible. It's these 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 fucking horrible people. Perhaps I give I would give it a bit more credence there, but I just again to reiterate, I just think the writing doesn't But I, I would I would I'll go first. I think the the writing that Fan perhaps undermines a lot of these themes that he's trying to get to. It mars it indefinitely. I feel I would probably well, that's where I would justify that. Then I would say it just undermines it for me a little bit, underwhelms. Um, I don't want him to, you know, granted it, but you know, we all want this person to be like crucified, not literally but contextually on screen. You know, I don't want him vindicated at all. Um, but the way that he tries to, um, I don't know, tries to showcase it on screen, there's like this, like like what Nick said, there is this sliver of, oh, okay, are we are we are we for just a second are we perhaps hinting that what we've seen is not... I don't know. I think it becomes blurry. I think there's a better filmmaker out there to do that. But I'll, 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 um, I'll applaud it for, for trying it, but those themes are... No, I don't, I don't, I don't think I would... I don't think... <laughs> that's the, but again, perhaps that's the, the controversial sentiment of its director, that he doesn't give a... And a more power term doesn't give a fuck. He, he's, a, he's a repressed person, perhaps in his childhood with sexuality, undoubted politically because he would have been and perhaps that showcases in his in echoes of cinema thinking well, I don't really give a fuck what you think I've been repressed most of my life in political sexual gender I'm going to put what I want on screen oh, okay more power to you I just think from the, the critical thinking standpoint it leaves a little bit to be desired I don't know how you two <laughs> feel I know I've, I've gone on there I think I've got to the, the crux of my own opinion of it anyway yeah, no, I, I, I agree with some parts of that, of course. And I don't know, it's, it's, I don't even know how to say it. It's probably just, I don't know. Almodovar is very specific. <laughs> it's a very, very specific style, very specific way of making 
of making movies. And to be honest, I don't really... I think he is almost like Marmite in a way, for the most part. Um, there's quite a few like people that I follow on Letterboxd, and I think Carson's probably like entering that <laughs> that side as well of the people that I follow, um, where it just it just doesn't work like as much as you can try, and occasionally it does with like very specific things, but he never reaches that level of like adoration that some people have of his films. Um, I don't adore him per se. I I I would say I only really love three of his movies. Um, this comes close. This comes close. Um, but but I'm also I also come at this not so much from the perspective of like a, of a, as a, as a critic, let's say, as a reviewer, but also as a filmmaker. And I think in a way, I don't I don't know if it should be more explicit in like the messaging. I think that's kind of part of the power. Like he's making the movie that he's making. It's it's up to the audience to to decide the way they they see it. And I, I think it's more telling. Like if someone watches this movie and comes out of it thinking, well that man wasn't so bad. You know, the pedophile priest <laughs> he wasn't that bad. I was like, okay, well that's 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 like a <laughs> that's that's your problem, man. I'm a bit worried if you think that. Um, but um... It, it definitely it's definitely like something that he keeps doing with his filmography that i respect it doesn't always pay off um but i do respect it that he doesn't really like you said jack like he doesn't give a fuck <laughs> about like yeah. uh, the way people want characters on screen um i often have these conversations with like some some family members who who really like like good people like the protagonist has to be like a good person like it's very just just conceptually just emotional. I think recently, uh, we even had the the TV show The Curse that just finished airing, and there are some people that just couldn't watch it because they were like, I mean, these people are just so toxic. Like, oh, that's uncomfortable, and I can't watch. It. I was like, that's that's the point. Like, if you go into a show or a film just being like these men and women and whatever have to embody my own beliefs. I think it's very hard to be turned off by that. And I kind of yeah, like so you, that Almodovar yeah. goes in very challenging directions. Though, though <laughs> I will agree that it's more often than not sloppily made because it leads to like wildly different interpretations. Not to go back again to, to Killers of the Flower yeah. Moon, but thank God, <laughs> most people like, like or dislike the movie. We were all on the same page of like, this is the point of the film and very few... Um, very few actually saw it as like maybe he's endorsing this man. Like, come, come on! Like they were shut off immediately. Uh, well, with Almodovar, it's off, often, from what they notice at least, there's always this back and forth. Like, ah, like some people see it one way, but others, like like you both are saying, like it's very questionable. I don't know. I I, I genuinely don't think there's like a right or wrong answer. I think some decisions would definitely hinder. Just the sense of the movie, the tone, the structure of it all. Um, yeah. It really does enjoy the pure artistry of it all, which is something that I like. But it often comes in the way of character, comes in the way of the story itself. And again, I think that's that's the ultimate thing that I don't like about this film that keeps me from loving it is the way Ignacio is treated. Because if we got, let's say, like the movie is 10 minutes longer and you actually get like to read a full letter from them and you see their version of events, then maybe it's more of a like, who's telling the truth, but you end on the trans person's, like the victim, to be honest, because they're a victim on their 
perspective, it's like, oh, okay, well, I get it now. But I think the fact that you're never given that, whether intentional or not, and I do think it genuinely doesn't care, which is not good, to be honest. Um, but it, it leaves you hanging. But this kind of, like, and I'm surprised we, we haven't mentioned him, I don't think even once, <laughs> in almost one hour of conversation, who I think to be actually the main character of the movie, who's the director, Enrique. Enrique is Almodovar in a way. Um, I don't know so much if Almodovar uh, sees himself as the abused little boy who becomes trans woman. I don't think he does. Um, I think more so than that, he sees himself as Enrique, uh, as this man who's a filmmaker who's like looking for inspiration and he looks around himself and then he has to dig deep into childhood to actually uncover some trauma and process it through art to then move forward, which is something that he did. I think even the fact of setting this in 1980, despite Enrique being like, what is it, third feature, I think, the one that he's making, like The Visit, which is a fun title. I was like, oh, The Visit. Um, but the one that he's making is his third feature. But 1980 is the year that he made it, like Almodovar himself made his debut with Pepe Lucy Bomb, feature debut. Coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. But the fact that it, like, you, you guys were talking and I kept like having in the back of my head, like, what's the point? <laughs> what's the message? Mm-hmm. What's the point? And I think it's it's just narratively speaking, at least, it's closure. Like you have a man who's always probably thought in the back of his head about his first love. What happened to him? What happened to Ignacio? I don't know. I just last I saw him was a kid. Who knows? And then knock, knock. He comes knocking at the door. What? Okay, this script, holy shit, this is my childhood, this is my life. And he sees us as lovers in the future. Okay, interesting. And he reopens old wounds that it almost put away. And through this whole story, he ends up in the end, like finding closure. I think getting that letter, a letter that was never sent, a letter that was never finished, you know, he, he can now move forward with his life. He got some sort of like memento in a way of Ignacio's life. And he can keep on going, making, what does he say? Like making successful movies or something like that in the last line, like uh, having a wonderful career, something along those lines. Um, Yeah, I think maybe that's, that's kind of the point narratively, at least. Like we are, we're focusing on like main characters, but not the protagonist. He's ultimately the one that we're seeing everything from. He keeps hearing the stories. He keeps reading the scripts. We never actually see the other two, you know, from their own perspective, both Juan slash Angel and uh, Padre Manolo. That's a man. Yeah. I, I, I would, I, just to unpack that then, just just very briefly about um, the actual finale with, with the actual villain of the piece. I think partly coming down to as well is that the fact that it's purported wrote this over 10 years. I think there's there's a part of him, and again, this this would be speaking for him here. So, just, I, please, I, I apologize if, if if this has come out and ever said anything against this. I think there's a there's a part there's a, there's an issue internally to explore that character because, on one hand, as a writer and as a director, it's slightly his duty to unravel that character and and to craft a a two dimensional, three dimensional shape out of something and and really give it sort of a substance and a sustenance to it. On the other hand, the fact that this person is is the ident- identification and this iconographer of something that is, is is a literal sense of what's happened to him as a child or throughout his life, and also on a larger sense of, of being this repressive nature, 
I think he's also a, somewhat afraid to give credence to that character. I think the the, the blur there and the issue of, of of trying to condone both sentiments of personal and um, uh, a slightly like a personal viewpoint of it in his writing, but also his due diligence as a writer as well to to craft it. I think that that blur is quite evident on screen in that he doesn't really know what to do with him. And I think there's also partly in that he, he wants to let that character rule the roost once more slightly to in, in, manipulate and groom Juan as, as well as us. But I think he's also afraid on an on a, on emotive level of uh, opening a wound there again, which is like giving that trauma um, a viewpoint and the, the way he ends it as well by not giving us any finality, finality with that character also must be quite a difficult thing for him to have, 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 have written as well um, because where's the closure for him? That's what I'll say on that. Going back to your point about en en Enrique, I'll push back on that. I, I, I disagreed about him being the, um, the, the lead actor or the, 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 the lead character. I think he, he was wonderfully placed as a third party throughout this film. He's a third party who, who was reading this, who was envisioned it in his head, but through the means of someone else's letter and someone else's viewpoint, he's envisioning it himself. So that's the way we see it. But I don't think he was, a, he, he's a, the, 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 the lead actor. I think, I think on, a, on a more sense, it's definitely Juan, because ultimately how the story progresses is, is consistently through his eyes and what happens by his own association with all three characters here, which, which is Father and well, Sir Manuel, the, 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 the Louise Homer type of actor, the, the actual priest, the priest within the film and also with Enrique. So I think just on a practical level, I would say that. But also, it's interesting you talk about closure because I think we've all spoken about its representation of, of um, Ignacio, the trans character, and the fact that it, it limits the reference of him and her, which I think is pro pro mostly a product of its time rather than a conscious um, ailment to the film, but I I thought that 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 finale where the, there's a letter again going back to the unfulfillment of uh, of of wanting to move on with anything because it ultimately comes to define these characters themselves and because they're all repressed and because it's so in indated with their characters and their beings they can't ever run away from it they have to they have to see it head on. Perhaps um, Juan's has got another way to go, as we see in the synopsis at the end. Uh, there's there's a lot to go, but definitely for her in the read because very murderous. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. That's that's the. But that, again, that, that's the that's the way that their story comes to an end. That's that's fair enough. But I thought for the the story of Ignacio to get that to to write that letter after years and years and years, and finally have this monster by the fucking balls, literally and figuratively. To, to indulge them with the money, still trying to cope and and dying as they are um, through through drug abuse, but also manipulating the manipulator, and then that for them to die writing this letter and to say I think we have uh, we have succeeded I think I've succeeded, and that be the final thing, I think that says a, a a lot more for Ignacio as a person and also reaffirms to uh, to Enrique as well that um, they were still a fighter. They're still they're not gonna they they weren't gonna ever allow that person even if they were dest destroying themselves if it's drugs and destroying themselves or other things and going from uh, male to female regardless of what their story was they weren't gonna let that monster get away with it 
and I sort of I, I found quite a lot of um, vulnerability in that, but also a wonderful highlight of just that strength, that strength to have to live through that life, having to live with that trauma and to to accept it and to digest it. And again, because all these three characters of having to do so, they get it the worst, but also the, the, the fact that they go head to head with the beast, uh, as, 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 as you will. And, um, and, and, and really the, the, how the story works out anyway, to bring Hawan into it and one finally in, in uncertain terms <laughs> with its finale, kill him through his own torment and pain is another se- segment to go into, don't get me wrong, but there's a, I think we succeeded just to give that little bit of hope and in and, and, and their own depth in their own de- death, sorry, to to not vi- not to vilify them, uh, not to vilify this, this other human being, but to just give a bit more um, credence in the fact that like we've, I think we've fucking got him and then it's ultimately for it to reveal it as it does it in, in a way, inadvertently they do I think there's something to be said about that. I don't necessarily know what, uh, but I quite like the ending of that note. Just that, for, that to, to wait five, six years to to when they've died, but to not speak to them in at least twenty, just to get that footnote that at least that person through all that trauma, in their final few moments, at least in principle, thought, or will at least went out with it with the idea that I've I fucking got him. I think it's quite a touching thing. It's very Aldo Mavis, and it's very evil. It's very unsubtle. It's very manipulative. It's very um, it's it's very blurry. Um, but it is one of those um, characteristics of his of his of his cinema where, again, like uh, in any means to to uh, to get the the last conversation to get the last word, I think that really that that, that puts a lot more credence to the to the value of that that sequence itself. Um, I would be fascinated to watch this with people um, from this community, specifically trans people, to understand how perhaps they think of that. Because it doesn't do a great job in not showcasing trans in a mentality of consistent and constant pain and suffering and trauma. Granted, this film is about suffering, but it does ultimately pigeonhole a certain ideology and which has been categorically showcased in the likes of um, Dallas Buyers Club and stuff like that, where there's just, you know, they are they are either prostitutes, uh, mentally ill, or they're dying. And for a long time, it, there isn't sort of this sentiment that 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 that, that, that um, derives from that until perhaps probably more recently, I suppose, with with uh, with. Again, even Assassination Nation d- touches on that, but more in a more different context, I suppose. But you know, mm-hmm. um, Barbie was good for it and stuff like that. And if we're getting, we're getting used to more just common. Our definition. Representation. New Hunter yeah. Schaefer movie this year. You know, we're thriving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to give like like recommendations of users. We can, yeah. Um, Why not? <laughs> I I highly recommend. It. I I followed her for for a while now, like few years sally jane black i don't maybe you two follow her as well uh but oh, she's okay. a trans critic on on, on letterboxd uh all in like we're talking about r- real reviews like it's not one-line mm-hmm. jokes it's not like a little paragraph we're talking about like essays sometimes um and I, I, even though i don't always agree with her takes it's always so interesting and she hates <laughs> hates Almodovar with a passion so i would recommend reading her review for bad education skin i live in she has understandably saw a lot of issues with with trans representation and sexual abuse there's this whole scene that i also found um questionable while watching it um in the fiction 
of the movie that's being filmed where <laughs> basically uh, uh, Zahara, the trans character protagonist of the film, assaults <laughs> a drunken man while he's sleeping, uh, which is played in a way that's supposed to be kind of nice. And, you know, he gave consent beforehand, but still he's drunk and, you know, asleep. So questionable, questionable. But yeah, no, so that's yes. just a quick recommendation. <laughs> just very questionable, you know. Um, but... I mean, I wish we, I, I hope that there are more queer voices specifically um, on Elmodovar because it's very interesting. I'll just mention this film also. It's very weird that like implicitly, I think you can read like the soul of the trans character is coming from a reaction to their trauma, which is not necessarily a very like, positive idea i would say of like where that comes from and an understanding of why people are trans i don't know for me it was just yeah. it's very complex obviously we lack of perspective here on the podcast so like i just really would love to see if anyone has them also email at clappercast at gmail.com or message me i'd love to have them but trans readings on these films and trans readings on you know bad education all of his filmography um because just very weird stuff at times um is what it is i guess <laughs> i'd love to know and also like a, a spaniard's viewpoint of living through this um filmography in context as well because i wonder if it's a part of the times because i don't know if anyone's seen a, a spanish horror film called thesis um and obviously you see uh, wreck like the, these the, the there are <laughs> they go quite hard within the, the, the rating scale like um it's not just something that's uh you know, it definitely embe- it's not embellished. It's like in- ingrained within a certain cinematic culture where they just love it. Like they absolutely love showing horror. They don't hold back, um, which I because because I partly think that the uh, the Junta Franco's um, ideology of cinema, where he brought loads of productions in, um, be it like um, Clint, a lot of Clint Eastwood stuff, Sergio Leone, and then and then a lot of American stuff came over. Cinema was probably one one of the because he because he public I think he would have well if his comments were in me would have would have given it to the uh, would have what's it, it wasn't we wouldn't have privatized it would he would have given it to the people um, although I, I can imagine Franco wasn't a particularly nice person from what everybody said and read um, but yeah anyway get back to the point it's interesting that 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 the outlet and it's such a massive um, creative energy from Franco in harshness and I mean look at Pan's Labyrinth is ultimately a representation of that as well. Um, you, you, you get from a fascist dictator anyway but you look at that sort of um, operanda and how it's filtered down into even to its in, in, not necessarily into what its audience want but its directors and its its queer directors as well it's fascinating to look at that lineage about just the connective tissue from a direct from, from a dictator who opened up cinema uh, for people all over the world to come and film in his communist dictatorship who was a ruthless fascist and then the um, <laughs> resemblances of, of, of 20, 30, 40 years on of how that's influenced filmmakers in harsh horror, harsh tone. Um, there's definitely ultimate connection there. So it feels like this film is a, is, is, a, is almost at a dissonance. You could probably read into this. I don't know perhaps if anyone agrees, but it's interesting that this film ultimately goes against the ideology of, of what Franco did, but also is liberated in it as well, which is, again... A fucking fascinating thing for a person to have to deal with. It's like an, it's it, again, it goes back to that grooming thing, doesn't it? Where this person is doing horrible things to someone, but also gaining them trust and and giving them presence and manipulating them. It's such a fascinating um, uh, subconscious evaluation of, of Spanish 
filming it. I think Aldomovar is probably someone who would agree that, in a way, that pain and suffering gave leeway to him to craft him his, himself in this quite fascinating way. But you wouldn't you would have to say that the both of the connective tissues are undoubtedly an influence, and it's it's a strange influence to bear. But that that's probably further. I would go with that, but. I just wanted to say one thing as well, because we mentioned earlier, and I think we probably should give it a bit more um, credence, is I was slightly unnerved when we get to the, the R-word sequence. Because I was like, I didn't really know who that person was, and he says it's Enrique, and then he, obviously he's like, oh shit, that's, that's his friend Enrique. It's interesting how that's projected in the film itself, as in the motive of the screenplay from Juan, who writes that in a sense of... Hey. of it's written that, from that... Ignacio the script, like all oh, right. Because when we Again, see, like... like when Merenger goes to the apartment, Ignacio writes okay, the okay. script ready. Oh, okay, yeah. I I find that interesting to sort of deconstruct and see perhaps what the what the intention of that is, because I can understand in on a very simplistic viewpoint here, a very simplistic viewpoint. That that's just lust because he hasn't seen them in age and there's this 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 sort of sensual sexual nature to it and this person falls asleep and it's not really what that person wanted and then it's like seeing it in front of them they, they lust to have that companionship because it wasn't given to them when they were kids um, or at least they weren't allowed to grow and and explore that in a in a in an ideal nature of which they which they should have been able to explore they, 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 childhood were taken away from in more ways than one. Um, that's probably the sequence for me, rather than the ending. That I know because I've, I've talked about the ending so much, probably I sound stupid, but that's the one where, I, I, with Aldoma, I'm like, mm, I don't quite understand why you would put that in, knowing full well the projection of what that showcases, not only on the level of context, but also out of context, seeing the representation. If this came out now, and let's be quite honest, this would be annihilated for its representation, and rightly so, because ultimately what it showcases is a trans person raping another person who has kids and children, like on on a very, on a very simplistic nature, like. And I'm I just I just sat there for like, because good to bear in mind when the first opening minutes came on with it when it's vignette, it just screamed "Dress to Kill" to me. That's the thing I was I thought this film was going for, not knowing anything about it, and then you okay. get this quite um sensitive type of film um very very uh profound very poignant and then we get to that and i'm like oh right again that might be the juggling of his tone but to me that was the most like oh this is going to be something to talk about i don't know how you two felt i might be reading that wrong please enlighten me but for me i just think it gives off really um disturbing but also really narrow-minded viewpoints like what was he going to expect the fact that that hasn't come back to haunt someone and i'm not i'm not here for cancel culture on a, on a filmmaker <laughs> who's shown that if you've done terrible things in your private life you've done terrible fucking things i'm not gonna but but it's interesting how that's not come back and be, perhaps been um highlighted as something where you know let's right some wrongs here i don't know how you two feel but i know it's i know it's a tough subject to talk about and I appreciate that, but for me, it was a more substantial part of this film. I was like, I have no idea what you're doing. I don't think you've got any idea what you're doing in retrospect. And I, I, I seriously, I've, I've, I think you're putting a lot of people in jeopardy. And knowing that the, the actor, Gail, um, I'm going to pronounce Garcia it. Garcia Bernal. All right. Gail Garcia Bernal. There you go. 
has had <laughs> literal had fallouts with Pedro Aldemar on set about this, and he will deny it. But then you look at the you look you, he will deny it. But you look at the production and you look at other sources also corroborate that he had massive issues with representational issues of sex, um, or literal on screen. I can only think it was that because everything else isn't that um, risky. It's quite uh, skin on skin. And it's it's very unsubtle, but that's the prominent scene he's in, where it's like, oh, I can imagine he had issues with that. I would love to have known, and not to make this um, uh, a, a sensational thing, but I would love to have known what he would have said to Gail on set to convince him to do that sequence, knowing he would he felt vulnerable about it. Because I don't think anyone could convince me as an actor or just being present there to participate in that, knowing how. I mean, you would you'd have to see it in context for it to convince you, but just in that sequence. To me, I just think it's just I, I I can't I can't defend that whatsoever. I don't I, don't, I just don't get it. I don't can someone explain? Did anyone ask <laughs> the what? I have I don't know if Carson maybe wants to go first. I have okay. No, <laughs> just like, very, no. Just, you take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the one who's compromising himself. It's gonna bite me in the ass. No, in the no, 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 like, no. No, small, it's, small, it's... Uh, um, super small side notes. Um, it's not talked about that often, but Almodovar is not an easy director to work with. He's had mm-hmm. multiple fallings out. You know, started working a lot with with a uh, gosh, why I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but like this one actress who was in all of his early films, then they had a falling out and she came back ironically with Volver, which is like the return. <laughs> she came back from that movie. Then he had Victoria oh, Abril. She she did like three, four films, then they had a falling out. Uh Rosie de Palma Antonio Banderas before like the skinny living and Dolores Gloria like was like bye Pedro <laughs> I'm done with you in the late 90s so it, Gael Garcia lasted one movie you know he got him because of Star Appeal it was hot at the time after it Mama Tambien and a couple other projects with uh, uh, the other Mexican uh, Ignaritu um, what's it like the dogs movie uh, Amores Perros so you know like uh, beautiful Penelope Cruz the other one is like <laughs> falling out look at that so i i've never found and i've never actively looked for like details about that like what just why <laughs> i know these things happen multiple times i don't know why i don't know the details but yeah he's not an easy director to work with but speaking of this scene i will say just preemptively like i'm not a fan of the way it's made um, especially something that like that's something that I'm doing right now. I had like an idea for a script years ago that I'm like act- actively developing now for a short film. And one thing that I changed is that without going into details, but like I started to feel uncomfortable with the way some sexual acts were portrayed and even violent acts because they fell into the realm of like potential assault and abuse. And so, like, I've reshaped it now where it's more sensual and explicitly has, like, consent <laughs> in a very twisted way. You'll see the finished yeah. movie. It goes in some dark directions. Uh, but there is consent. You know, people say, yes, you may do that thing. Um, but in this movie, it's, it's, it's lacking. It's just objectively lacking. And it feels uncomfortable. But with a mindset of, let's say, 2004-era glasses, <laughs> where you're like, yeah, you know, this scene is fine. The way that I saw it as... It's a, it's a power reversal, a power reversal, and a reversal of the roles. We often talk about, well, not we, but like you know, the internet loves to talk about sex scenes are unneeded. I think this is a sex scene that's needed for the character of Zahara. Um, 
without the consent part. Let's just like pretend that doesn't exist for a second. Um, it starts off as, well, like she's prostituting herself. She's giving away her body for sex. She's a sex worker, essentially. She works in the cabaret and then she goes away with some client that she kind of lures in a way she flirts with during the night. And she's giving him a blowjob, which is a very like, I'm giving you the pleasure. I'm doing the act. I'm doing, I'm, 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 I'm delivering the pleasure, you know, uh, mm-hmm. And she's, she's almost like starting to rob him, looks in the wallet, ah, there's nothing, fuck, like, like it wasn't even a good John, you know. But then she sees, oh, this is my ex-lover, my first lover, you know, my the first love of my life. And he's still hard. <laughs> it's a very important detail in the scene. And she takes him in, in a way, and it becomes more like a heteronormative, you can almost say, like, you know, portrayal of how sex is made. Where it's like, oh, it's the it's the intercourse. It's like that's that's the sex, and it becomes more about that passion, and it's the reversal. Even even just physically, instead of being like face down lying, she's on top of him, um, and and at the end she leaves him money, <laughs> which is kind of funny. She puts money into his 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 jeans before leaving, and she doesn't steal anything. She actually gives him back. She gives him more money than he had before, which is kind of. Uh, a fun, weird little thank you. Um, it's it's one of those things with Almodovar where it's just baffling, but it also oddly makes sense in its own way. Um, like many things that we talked about today, like it's not easy. I'm also not super sure about this reading, but it's such a, I don't know, it's, it's, it's an interesting scene. And he always has this very twisted um, power dynamics. I don't know if you've seen Time Me Up, Time Me Down, Carson. Maybe that's one. Yeah, like that's another one that's completely um, insane. Love, desire. Like he, he, he is not for cookie cutter. Oh, they love each other and everything's vanilla. It's like, no, that's not that's not Pedro. But that's that's at least my, my reading. I can be completely off point. You know. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of mixed. I mean, I think that's one of the things about Almodovar. I mean, we've I feel like we've kind of covered it, but like I think he is very interesting politics when it comes to consent, when it comes to representation of sex, when it comes to sexual abuse in multiple different ways. Like I just feel like it's something that he plays with in a way that isn't always something I jive with. I think it leads to weird implications for his characters. Um some he then wants to make protagonists or some he wants to then give redemption to that I don't vibe with. Like, I just feel like it's something with, like, if you want to dive into his filmography, and I'm not saying, like, you have to, right? I think it's very valid to just say, like, Pedro Almodovar is not a filmmaker some people can engage with. Um, I think it's just something you kind of have to, like, learn to, like, live with and accept. Not that you say it's good. I think you could very criticize each film for it. Um, but it's just something that comes with the territory of Pedro Almodovar, which no one really discusses, because um, I don't think a lot of people have seen a lot of his films. Though I'm, like, super shocked. Like, after seeing a lot of these, talk to her. Not to we don't need to get into it fully, but, like, it's arguably one of his, like, most famous films. One award for a screenplay. Like, it's pretty well known. But no one talks about, like, the politics of that film, which is fucking insane, like, and is very disturbing and gross and just not something I vibe with at all. Um... I don't get how people are not actively like looking at that film and then trying to make bigger statements about Pedro. Um, not to criticize Pedro, not to be like, we need to witch hunt this guy. You know, sorry, Pedro, on your episode that was supposed to be celebrating you. I guess this was kind we of love you. <laughs> I do love you, Pedro. And I think your queer analysis is really beautiful that you put that on screen, how you do. I think you're really talented. I love your colors of your films. Um, but when it comes to screenplay, when it comes to 
things within this film and he keeps coming back to it. Like it continuously in his filmography is sexual abuse and weird things about consent and weird things about representation. And it's like, dude, just move on or like do something else, please. At the very least, like it just, it can, it's, it's part of who he is as a filmmaker and how he is with storytelling. And it just kind of like, is kind of sucks <laughs> um yeah. but it's there i think my two favorite I, movies of his are volver and uh, dolori gloria and i think they might be the only two that don't have like sex <laughs> in them explicitly the two, I, the two i don't check out of course mm. you haven't seen dolori gloria pain and glory Oh, Penny Glory, sorry. Sorry, yeah, sorry. sorry, sorry. I'm a dumb American, okay? Yeah, I don't on, I need the English titles here. <laughs> they can they come uh, no, like Pain and Glory and and uh, Volver. I think Volver is Volver with Penelope Cruz. Just it doesn't it doesn't mean Volver. It's just Volver. Volver. <laughs> is yeah. that Volver. I, I also <laughs> think that, like, to, to echo what Castro said as well, I feel like from from watching two two features, uh, one shot, and I'll probably watch the other shot tonight with Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke. Um, that sequence itself, what we've just talked about, is the identity of him as a filmmaker. In that, it's very lustful, it's very, it's full of passion. In the moment, he writes it, he directs it, he does whatever he does, he gets it on screen, and the film is is is, is sort of this living, breathing entity. But he's not a filmmaker that retroactively or even retrospectively has any idea of what these these I've, I've got to say. And I think it, it's quite um, warming. And then frightening because the warming part of it is that he works purely on passion. And I, that, as a filmmaker, for, to see a director who's just like working purely on passion, this is what my character would do. That, that's all well and good. I, I sort of, people feed on that as a, as a as cinephiles. I think it's 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 it's, a, it's intoxicating. The, the the issue, the the worrying part of it is that the actual content of it and the context is just wildly disturbing. And it, it's not, I, I, like you said, Carson. It's all well and good having passion and, and, and energy, but injecting in those sequences are just, to me, is provocative for provocative sake. And he's never, he's been pigeonholed as a provoc- provocateur, don't get me wrong, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see any value in that, and even in the characters. I agree with you, Nick, perhaps it's, it's, a, it's a, the balance of, um, of, of the dynamic, but Think of it in, in the context of it that, that it's after the fact that after this person obviously can't consent, then then they they try to rob them, then they don't. They have a little bit of leeway to think, oh, actually, this is my, my childhood lover, or, or, or someone very close to him, I'm sure, Enrique, and then take the power from him and 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 do that. I just think that as a, as an ideal of representation for for what will be impacting, knowing the full well that that film will live. It will find audiences every every decade. It will find well. It's had it's had what two generations now to view it. The implications of that will become more and more skew if and more and more damning. And he's 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 as a as someone who's obviously a creative a director who's been in that industry for 40, 40 years almost now. Like come on, there's he, there's a lot more. He's better than that, I think. He's, you know to do, to just say he's Spanish and he works off too, too much passion. credit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, no, because because you know, he has to devise. Yeah, it has to be relevant still. Has to devise provocative features. Don't be wrong, but that that isn't provocative. Provocative sake that has got real blurry connotations, and perhaps he he will he will say that. And well, that's that's a story of of, of uh, what I want to tell. And fair play to it. But ultimately, once you put it in the public domain and you put it in that public viewpoint of people having an opinion and it lives with the times, um, I I have to say I don't think we would 
we would talk about this in the same way in 10 more years. I think this film will get progressively worse over time. I think if I saw it in 2004, I would probably be far more different. Even in 2014, perhaps we would have a different viewpoint on it. Um, not in terms of that, that situation itself, but we'd be far more or less analytical. And I think that's ultimately the relationship the director's got with the work. But in 10 more years' time, in 10 years after that, and 10 years after that, this will just be sort of um, not... Uh, it, pigeonholed in, in a representation that's very poor and I think this film just to end my, my statement here I think it's unfortunate because it ultimately dampens a feature what Carson said was earlier on is that there's something really really quite poignant in this and quite profound and, and um, sturdy and difficult to watch and um, engaging and, and immersive and and just very plain and flatly emotional and there are certain injections of Aldomavar that really do derail this into being something that could could have been um, profound. And that, that generally that's why I probably come down on it. I, aside from that, I don't. I, I think I've, I rinsed this film belief. Jack, just put in context, we don't do it on the show, but like, what star rating would you be out for this? I I I've been through this. I went I went five four, and then having this conversation, I'd probably go a three. But I'd probably go. I'd probably go a high three or a low four. I'm 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 still. If I hadn't have brought up that sequence we just spoke about, I'd give it a four. But I think that has massive implications for this as this as a film, for for its lead actor, what it's trying to showcase. I think it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe just a four. Maybe a, maybe a three. I don't know. I have I have very little um, um, comparative work because I, I, this I've seen all three types of the films you see I've seen the comedic I've seen the nailed on drama parallel mothers obviously I'm so excited and this so I think I probably have to watch something similar to this which is what is I live in fear or something I'll watch that and I'll, I'll talk to her probably but, <laughs> but uh, ouch uh, I mean what I'd, I'd be interested in seeing your thoughts on uh, the skin I live in. Yeah, that. That, yeah, I'll probably watch it's, it's this more then. that's much more of a De Palma film than this, but that also has mighty conversations with the with the political and social culture that we live in now with trans representation and what it means to be again what it means to be. And I say this in quote the, the 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 culture war of what is a woman, and again, I think you have the same issues with that representation because he uses it in genre, it's what you said in the opening, he uses very much profound motifs in their own right that should be given credence and 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 uh, availability of, co- of context and and at least content but he uses it in a, in a in a in a in a weird way of genre like the palmer didn't dress to kill like there's no reason to explain why my aside from exposition why michael Caine does the things he does spoilers but i still think but, but oh my god like he dresses as a woman that is as simple as it probably gets. I don't. I don't. I, I, as 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 well. We get on as cinephiles and we begin to grow and uh, develop, and we have a have another developing type of um, uh, substantive uh, era of film that's being repressed, and it becomes more. Again, it becomes more enlightening to to, to reflect societal norms. Um, I just think that's going to fucking age poorly as well. I mean, that, that, I remember that when that came out, and that, it got um, it, it has a uh, it got uh, cut in. Um, the UK, it doesn't have uh, it has an issue with its with its BB, uh, BBFC, and also like I don't think you could actually like 
show the trailer anywhere. I don't think you could have posts of it. I just remember the absolute fucking fury that it had. Um, I'll try to I'll try to check it out, but I feel like this is going to be like <laughs> from what you both said anyway. It's going to be a common theme here. And what worries me is that we're going to 2004, we're going to 2012, 2010, and you guys are going to 1984, 1990s. What worries me in like the next 10, 10 years is what we're going to get in the next five, six, seven years about how he now is in a world where he won't be able to execute those types of dramatic effects because the audience won't accept that. Because at the time, you could say that I'm not saying he's spiteful or anything like that. I'm not saying he's done it in a way. The societal norms didn't push back because they weren't represented to the, the, to the fullest force, you know. Now, you know, you've got representation that pu- pushes back even against RuPaul, who's massive about his, his trans representation and stuff, and that's, that's a society that is constantly now vocalised. It'd be interesting to see what then he implements in this. I know I'm going on a tangent here, but it'd be interesting to see what he implements in the further down the line, knowing full well that if he's a filmmaker who's A, afforded to be able to do that, and B, what his what the fan base on what audiences do and do not reject be very interesting because like you both said that nobody's talking about these things but i also think that because he's european and because he's spanish and also as well not to disregard his filmographer and carson again from your article this doesn't translate very well to us audiences it doesn't translate passably far from his commercial work in the sense of it goes to venice and stuff like that and then it goes to uh, you know, South by Southwest. If it goes to um, Telluride, if it goes to TIFF, etc. If it goes to to any of the big ones, um, uh, like Sundance, perhaps. So other work is lost on those people because it isn't given availability. I I think it's probably going to be an interesting um, next few years because I think I don't know if you two feel the same way because I'm I'm probably more up to date with his modern work. He has pushed back on that front and and. Um, and taking it down a notch, like his last few works have been interesting. With with definitely um, short works about re- gay representation and stuff. But even with parallel mothers, there uh, wasn't really. Do you don't think so? I I I am not positive for the future of Almodovar. To be well, honest, well, no, no, I don't mean because that. I mean, like, even uh, I don't. I don't mean that. I mean, I, I appreciate that. I mean now. In the last three or four, five based years. on now, based on now, <laughs> I'm not positive so uh, because he's he's entering work? he's entering Hollywood, which is always dangerous territory. And Europe, you know, you get public funds to make movies. He has his own production company. In Hollywood, money talks, money reigns supreme. And you haven't you, uh, Carson has seen Strange Way of Life, right? I've I've rewatched it recently. I saw it in the cinema during the summer. I enjoyed the short. I'm like, hey, it's all right. It's like a free, three and a half stars at most for me. Um, but I found kind of troubling that it's, you know, supposedly, like he talked about it as the response, you know, to uh, Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, let's see what he's done. And there's not a single kiss between Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal. There's not a single, there's like a, a thinly, potentially compromising moment of intimacy between two men two adult men like these two in the there film. isn't in my and you have like that. younger version what sorry but there isn't even in maestro which talks about a, a person who's bisexual there's more kissing in maestro at least there's more kissing <laughs> at least yeah, I, I, it's not afraid of kissing a man uh but i watched I, I i watched that short and i'm like okay if this were made i don't know with javier bardem and antonio banderas in spanish I think they they would go for it, you know. 
they wouldn't be afraid. But I can totally see like Pedro Pascal being like, I, you know, there's allegations against me. I don't want to confirm nor deny. So I'm not going to be shown kissing a man, you know, or touching him in sensual ways. <laughs> it feels like that. And he's compromising. And what, like, love or hate Almodovar, he never compromised in his early films, for better or worse. And the, going to Hollywood, I'm like, mm, he's starting to do it. Starting to do it. And I'm not I, super I, big on that. That, that, but that. But that's not necessarily a, a caveat of, of Aldomovar as, as a person. That's also an issue of the, the MPAA, which it's an NC-17 no matter what. Like, again, if you watch the documentary, um, not yet rated, it goes into that, like, it's a judicial system on, on Christian faith or religious zealots who, who look at it and want to represent America as an engrossing indoctrination of themselves rather than the actual public ideology that it proposes. But if you look at Parallel Mothers, Parallel Mothers, granted, is more of the dramatic sense that we were talking about earlier, but it's far, it's far more restraint in that he touches on, um, on queer relationships. He inter, inter, intertwines that in a, in a story that feels somewhat authentic in that these two have come together after a massive, massive pain, it feels like a, there's at least a doubt to them growing, and that, that's 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 a, that's a Spanish back foundation, a, a, um, a funding, sorry, which was well received, I'd say, in Europe. I don't know if it translates well to the US, but um, I agree with you. I, I, perhaps that that thirty minutes is there just to just to showcase that he can get films out. Because you know, to be fair to him, and not not to not to sound like a pariah here and, and to be like devil's advocate, but I do feel. Again, back to your point about him not compromising. I, 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 I'm all for that. Never compromise on your art, especially if you're trying to get queer representation on cinema. At least just for a form of representation, anyway. But in the same token, if you're going to try and do that, and you're going to get an NC-17 in the US for showing gay sex on screen, you're fucked if you do, and you're fucked if you don't. So I can understand why he pushes back on that and just does anything he wants. Because at the end of the day, his films won't play in rural Arkansas. <laughs> You know, they just won't. And I don't think he's bothered by that. But I think it would be interesting to see these films be, be showcased. Granted, I'm not, I'm not saying that there should be an argument to cut these films down. But it, it'd be interesting to see if he would compromise, at least to sort of get that queerness out there and get his image out there into more more of a US territory. But again, I don't think he gives a shit about that. I think he was, he's a, he's a, he was a queer kid that's come from a fascist regime. He's going to be a filmmaker, an incredibly popular Critically, uh, critically acclaimed filmmaker. I don't think he cares, and, and that is good. Fair more fair play to you. But there's this, there's just something that's linger in the back of my mind about. I wonder what you would have been like if you were been born born in Tennessee. Hmm. Because I think that Spaniard in him, that hothead Spaniard about I'm putting anything I want. I like that as a European. I'm all for that. But I do think it comes about in very strange ways of like. Pedro, you know, we're going to show some uh, show an attraction of um, homoerotic sex on screen. Yeah, okay, I'm going to do it in a semi-rape way. Oh, Pedro, 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 I, I know we do, I know that, but let's perhaps no, 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 I'm doing it that way. And because he has that 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 ferociousness in me, like this is my story, and you won't you won't say anything about my story, which actually quite I think it's quite um, defendable. I, I appreciate that. I do think it's quite interesting to know that where he will draw the line in, in appropriation or even just in, in sentimentality or even just in, in fucking sentiments to, to begin with. Like, it's so interesting looking at him as a filmography. Like, I, I'm so excited to look back through this and see where he's compromised and where perhaps he's gone and gone and like, I'm going for this. Because I think, I think from what I've seen, I've been quite blessed in the fact that, well, it's been very compromised for, for a larger audience.
I'll just say this then, because you you don't you say he doesn't compromise, right? I don't know how we all if we all agree here. Do you think that sequence is is imperative to the film, then, Nick? <sighs> yes and no. I genuinely I don't know. It's 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 no, it's a cop I out. I I love my cop outs, you know, Carson. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I I don't know. I honestly genuinely don't know. But that'd be interesting to see. I, you you'd have to reshape it into a different scene to have like that kind of reveal. But also, it's 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 like you said, Carson. It's it's just Spanish melodramas. That's how they work. Like they're super hot. Like I've seen more than I'd like to admit when I was growing up because they were just like the thing on TV. Like multiple television stations at lunchtime would have like one hour of those 10 minute soap operas. <laughs> so it would be like six, seven episodes one after the other. And even when I was like House of Friends or whatever, you'd always have like the mother just be like, shh, it's 1pm, quiet, <laughs> sitting down on the sofa. It's like time for my telenovela. And yeah, you know, they, they, they go in those uncomfortable directions and it's... So, I, I it, do we need it? We don't need it, but you can say that about so many scenes in so many movies. Um, it's part it's part of its identity, for better or worse. That's, yeah, that's I, the best I, way I can I, put it. I think that sequence is actually imperative to, for this film to work in the fact that this is written by Ignacio, who, who, who is writing about his lover in a way in a very sensual way, but also understanding that it won't be the same if they have actually met because he doesn't know if, if Enrique will, 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 have, will have had the same life or, or if, of what type of person Enrique actually is, if he's comfortable with his sexuality, he doesn't know. So it's interesting how he, how he, how he, how he crafts that. And it's interesting that the, the first dynamic they have is a sexual one. Then it goes to a sensual one with him looking and going, oh my God, he's got kids, and then putting the money in. Like, but if, if that sequence is then just left with just a kiss, an unconscious kiss, kissing him on the cheek or even on, on the lips to even some extent, and you have that nature of that Ignacio is going to leave Enrique once again, but at least he was there just in a very intimate moment. I think you get the same sensitivity there, and I think you even get the same sensuality. It's just very interesting that then he, he ups the <laughs> he ups, ups the ups the game quite considerably and then does what he does because it for me, it loses the grasp of what that character is. Because if you actually think about it, in the context of, of Enrique's story, Enrique's reading that, and that's the first time, that's Ignacio uh, writing about it. And granted, let's put it in perspective, this, this, in context, this never actually happens, if we're actually correct about it. So I think you have to give him, not an out, but I hold my hands up and say, well, it's, you know, the act is a sensationalised one in a, in a form of writing anyway. And maybe that's for us to become uh, to have a conversation on, well, not now, but obviously I mean as audiences. So again, you can sort of defend it there. But if we think within the film, within the film, it's 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 Enrique's first understanding of Ignacio's ad- adoration and and um, and sen- sensuality upon Enrique in that, like, um, that's what he <laughs> after not seeing him in decades. That's the first thing he does. It's interesting. I'll say that. I think it's interesting not to go into it again. It's just interesting. 
I think maybe moving to final thoughts on the film. Um, I think we've broken down bad education quite a bit. I'll say after this conversation, I feel very mixed. I feel probably more mixed than I did walking in on this as far as feeling strongly about the film. I do think there's a lot here. Nick, I think you make like, I really like a lot of what you said about the film and kind of show, revealing itself um, and what it's trying to say. I just think it's like maybe the clearest example of a really worthy text being plagued by Almodovar and like his worst tendencies, if that makes sense. I think I like the film. I definitely am positive rather than I am negative. If I had to give a thumbs up or thumbs down, it would be a thumbs up. Um, But it just isn't the film. I think it could be. And I think that just makes me kind of disappointed in it, but I do think it is good overall, I guess is what I'll say. I mean, I'll, I'll be very brief here. I'll echo exactly that. It's very interesting to have these these conversations from very three different perspectives. Uh, Carson, you're, you're openly queer. Um, not, hopefully everyone knows that anyway. Um, if, you, if you don't know Carson. Did you just out me to like, everyone? Can you imagine if anyone not, not, doesn't know who you are, no, our relationship is like, he's done what? But, but, but no, Carson is openly queer. It's in, very interesting to get representation, representational conversation on that. Nick is incredibly European um, focused on cinema. I, I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> in Aldoma, then, I, yeah. Very much in, in the Aldoma sphere. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm just entering that now. So it's interesting to, to break this down and see areas that I haven't seen and then also discuss it. But I agree with Carson. I think the more you break this down, I do think it's going to be a, a very severe worry for a lot of this work is that it, it's interesting to look at the representation hearing about what that representation means to other people and also experiencing the film itself i feel like two different separate issues of each film i'm watching with aldo mavar i agree with carson once again about it. i think this is a really good film in here but it's just muddled not very well executed at times often plagued by very strange decisions that feel like a consequence of ego from its director more so that um, uh, um, an elevation for its material itself which I feel like is the biggest sin here on often, case, on, on often occasions in that the director is not allowing the actual film to speak for itself rather than the radicalization of their, their ego and, and viewpoint. Um, so it's definitely dropped from my estimations. I would also say that I, I do still like this because I think there's, there's, there's tongue in cheek here. There's wonderful measurements of tone. There's a, there's a sensuality here. There's a wonderful um, sequence um, within, in a swimming pool. That like it, like it just feels like weird to watch in a way that you feel that you're there. The sun's perfectly lit. The water feels crisp. There's body on screen. There's a skin, and he has all these things where they, they all meld together really well. He has a white background. He has like um um the the the, uh, uh, the flooring of, of it's like a, this like classic Spaniard aesthetic. And everything just punches with colour, like you said earlier. Like everything is just like wonderful notoriety of colour. But then I just think about certain parts of it. I'm just like, ah, this could be such a better, more in, influential, inflicting film. I think its ending is really impacting, um, bar its like last five fucking lines of text. But what I got out from this was was a compelling feature. But I'm I am very <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna walk a very delicate edge with what we're gonna what we're gonna do next with Aldo Mavai, my personal thing. I, I don't know where I would go. I'll, I might hit the heights and then go go to the smaller stuff. But um, as a as a first proper one, um, it's interesting to say the least, isn't it? It's very it's very, very thought provoking. Let's say. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a fan. Even even after this conversation, I kind of, weirdly enough, I kind of liked the movie more um, oh, because God. some of the things that I wasn't some some of the things that just weren't clicking for me, just on an intellectual level. Now they kind of click. Just trying to find reasoning behind it. So thank you guys. <laughs> um, but no, no, no. I I I I think it's it's very. It's a very complicated film, as we, as we both talked about. We all talked about it for like two hours. Um, there's a lot there, but I think there's a lot of good, um, especially when it comes to like everything about just art, art and emotions and, and catharsis and, and trauma and just making sense of it. And, and it's, it's messy, it's sloppy, almost in the way that like people and life are messy and sloppy. But I especially love when Almodovar just goes full cinema. When it's not about like people just talking, when he goes for like those cinematic moments. I think the one of the highlights comes very early for me. It's the Moon River sequence when the little kid is singing Moon oh, River God. and you see like all the children just like just these beautiful shots of, of, of like water and just laughter and, and innocence and playfulness and then like this this child keeps on singing and the score just vanishes and you have this empty shot of bushes like fuck me pure cinema that's just just uh, and that's when you're like yes he has like what's the new thing he has the juice that's what they say now right (laughs) you can see he has the juice it just keeps on changing every two months it's another term well, if you want to watch uh, Bad Education, as well as most of Pedro Almodovar's films, they're not really streaming in America. I don't know about globally, uh, but you can buy and rent them. Kind of, I don't know, maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing that they're not super accessible. I know some pop up on Criterion Channel here and there. So just do your best, um, but you can rent and Put buy them. Put them on Netflix uh, <laughs> for everyone to sure. see. I would love to see what, you know, the moms of Michigan think when they're like, oh, that's a cute comedy. And then they <laughs> the watch of Michigan, yeah. women on the, yeah anything um for our question of the week we're asking because this film is obviously a large part of this is about the power of filmmaking what's your favorite film about filmmaking which i think is a very fun and open-ended question i didn't just want to ask what's your favorite pedro film a lot of directions you can go with nick we'll start with you what is your answer for your favorite film about filmmaking sorry carson i'm sorry it's two picks it's two picks um but for for good reason because one is just a movie that's metaphor it's kind of literally but also primarily metaphorically about filmmaking they really love i'm, I'm david lynch's boy he's my man he's my father my brother my sister my uncle my son um i absolutely love mulholland drive inland empire i almost thought of putting that here but mulholland drive is like the film for like just the the emotional aspect of like making a movie in a more surreal way it just captures it beautifully the fear the tension the drama that goes on behind behind the scenes um and just the just how making movies and just living in the fiction of a film can make you cope with the darkness of reality i think that's very moving um there's a the lynch oz documentary that came out last year not a fan of it for the most part i think it's all right you know except for one essay by karin kuzama who talks about mulholland drive and she changes you've seen it right carson um she changes she she interprets the ending in like a positive light and i i I found that to be a very interesting way and i rewatched the movie with that perspective i was like yeah i can kind of see that i've I've always seen it as like an incredibly dark ending and very like pessimistic but there is a way of seeing, you know, just, you know, art 
helps us <laughs> deal with a lot of things. And if living in our own fantasy where everything goes well and we actually get the girl is, you know, the only thing that keeps us alive from uh, and away from, you know, offing ourselves, that's that's good then. It can be good. But for a, like an actual movie that's like grounded in sort of reality that's about filmmaking, uh, François Truffaut's Day for Night. It's mwah, so good, so good, super fun. He actually captures like the day to day of like how a big set works. Um, and a little tidbit to connect it to Mulholland Drive. François Truffaut is present as an actor in the film and he plays the director of the fiction film that they're shooting. And he has like an earring aid problem and he has to speak very loudly and shout. And he often misunderstands what people say, kind of like David Lynch in Twin Peaks. <laughs> Coincidence? Probably not. <laughs> Nick, theoretically, if we had to do a podcast on a David Lynch film, which one would you choose for that? Oh, oh, oh no, you can't ask me that. <laughs> uh, uh, probably Mulholland Drive, I think, would be an interesting. Either that or, or uh, Inland Empire could lead to some very, I, I, like, thought-provoking conversations. Inland Empire, so I've never you, seen it either. So if you want to do Inland Empire, I'm fucking game for that. I'll pencil it in. We'll figure out a place. Jack, what's your answer for the question? Right, I have four. Um, I'm going to give you, but I'm going to give you two answers for each, just because there's uh, there's a reason why. Um, I'll I'll start with the uh, the more like rough ones here. The two rough ones, which I promise more R rated, is Blowout and Boogie Nights. I just find nice. them fascinating to look. Yeah, to to to, to look at the actual practicality of filmmaking as well. Um, are two very interesting subjects about making horror, but also making pornography. Um, but the other, the other two as well. That that's sort of more of an adult oriented thing. But there's two which I think are very important for the reason why they use um, filmmaking in the film. The first one is Super Eight, and the second one is Hugo. So, so Super Eight is is imperative, um, not only to get that eighties throwback of like the Spielberg or the Goonies nature and stuff like that, but also to showcase like kids going out there. You know, you, you could, using a Super Eight camera, but shooting a film with their friends you know the accessibility now on an iphone i think it travels miles it's also a fun film but i, I love the fact that it's imperative to, to that, that sequence in itself in the film um i think cloverfield would be an interesting one as well but i'm not going to put cloverfield in the other one which i think i i think is is vastly underrated and, and uh, for, for multiple reasons but i think i think george um, i think uh, uh, martin scotts is hugo did a, a, a two-factor thing with the film in the fact that it showcases not only a really interesting power of filmmaking at such an imperative age within itself growing and ultimately at its, at its start with, with, with people becoming like intoxicated by it, but also giving the flowers to George um, Milias, played by Ben Kingsley, who is the godfather of, of cinema, whether, of without such... I think the influence is almost unattainable, or even to discuss, to even give that context, would be four or five hours worth of just massive amount of influence. And I think to interpret that as a child's film almost, within reason, and and give a sense of education on that man, of also the impacting nature of his films, I think it's so genius and such a love letter to filmmaking. It's probably the most cinematic film about cinema on a on a massive global level done by a master of his craft a master of, of the craft which is which is scotty said 
out of the two of them, they're very similar, but I would probably have to give it Hugo. Like, I just, yeah. like, uh, I just honestly, I just, like, it blows my mind that he managed to do that. On the, I mean, he even released it in 3D. Like, come on. Crazy stuff. But yeah, that, that it was a really hard touch, that, because I was going to go King Kong, because I thought it'd be fun, but no, it wasn't. Or uh, Borat, but I didn't think... <laughs> I didn't. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This, yours would be tons of good documentaries also. Yeah. Um, tons of great ideas. Hugo, I I love Hugo. Everyone is like really acts like that film is like mid or like not that great. Oh. I don't know. It's like five stars for me. Yeah, I love agreed. it. Yeah, I Um I I always hate these because then you guys have such fun answers. And mine is gonna be more recent. I'm not gonna go too in depth because it's actually our next episode we're publishing. Ooh. Um but Damien Chazelle's Babylon is a film Yo. I'm kind of like I'm kind of stunned with. Every time I watch this film. I am more and more just blown away by what Damien Chazelle accomplishes, what it, what it means for his career, um, looking at the Hollywood system um, and these really big picture ideas, but also with these very close stories um, of diversity. Um, again, we'll, we'll talk about it more in depth. That's our next episode. But like really every time I watch Babylon and I'll never forget the feeling of first watching it in the theater, um, but even revisiting it at home, it's just one of those I could throw on any day, any time and just kind of be, like find more and more value each watch so i'm very excited to talk about it because it is one of my favorites probably of all time genuinely um and we didn't cover on clappercast we never did a babylon episode for some reason i think we were taking like a small month-long break i don't think anyone watched. i'm excited to finally give it its flowers that's also true jack yes um (laughs) so with that let's go to our rapid reviews films we've seen recently um let's do this kind of quickly jack what have you seen recently cut to your bones and all review finally right (laughs) no no don't even do that to me um i've been watching a lot of jackie chan films like i said last week um i've been watching the end of the police story franchise which just gets very strange i watched um pro um, operate um watched armor of god the trilogy uh, operation condor and chani zodak that was interesting uh, the Loveless, Kevin Bigelow. Um, I've I watched um, uh, what else did I see? Uh, I watched Marion Antoinette um, this morning because I, I was watching it to build it with Priscilla, but I'd already seen Priscilla. But I just wanted to, I like to if I'm going to watch a new film, if I can find a director that, that I haven't seen before, I like to double build them. So I, I'm going to watch um, Christopher Bogley's. Uh, I'm fucking butchering that. Sick of myself as well, just for the dream of scenario. And I'm going to do um, the whale with pie. I'm not looking forward to that. Um, but that's that's all I've been really doing. I've been watching a lot of Jackie Chan movies. I've got a lot to review yet as well. I've got Eileen to do, Society of Snow. I'm going to go watch Poor Things and Godzilla Minus One on Tuesday, which I'm looking for. Ooh. And I'm going to watch Dog Tooth to, to Companion Poor Things. And then I'm gonna because I've done this, I'm gonna have to do Bones and All for the next 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 Sunday. And I'm also I'm gonna try watch Boys Afraid. I promise. But I will watch Strange Way of Life if I can fit it in. And I might watch another Aldo Mova. I might watch a, a very um, controversial one from the from the beginning. What you, from you guys' recommendation? I think that's what I, uh, that's all really. Next next episode is gonna be frightening. What I've seen, but we'll get into that next. <laughs> sure. Nick, what have you seen recently? Super quick, just four quick recommendations of what I've watched. The Dead by John Huston, his final movie, adaptation of James oh, wow. Joyce's short story. Just just classy. Just class, man. Just pure class. And quick. Classy. It's like 80 minutes long. Um, started watching Decalogue, the 10-episode uh, 10 Commandments of Christ, uh, Christoph Kieslowski. 
first one is f- fucked me up. I was like, I'm gonna watch one a day. And I was like, if they're all like this, I'm just gonna kill myself by the end of it. So I'm watching like one every week or so. <laughs> I'm spacing, pacing myself <laughs> out, you know, just for my mental health. The Navigator, Buster Keaton, Carson's favorite. Really oh, wow. enjoyed it. Blackface and you know, portrayal of natives. <clears throat> But you know it's fun, sparse. Lots of cute, cool, cool, delightful. Did you have to order it in that way where you said Carson's favorite? You know yeah. the one with blackface. <laughs> did you have to? Did you have to say that? <laughs> to be honest, like it's uh, I can't think of many movies, but of the period where it's like there's not blackface. It's like oh well, that Harold Lloyd. Well, you know. I love how he dodged the question of He completely dodged the question of what you said. He was like, yeah, well, you know. I apologize. It made him so nervous, you could tell. <laughs> no, I, 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 it's definitely a movie that's like, I think it's borderline perfect up until the last act. The last act was just like, I don't know. It's just it's just way too long. I, lo- I can definitely say I love Buster Keaton when he's like under an hour. I mean, like uh, Sherlock Jr. and the others are like, Perfection. Sherlock Jr. is probably my favorite, which is super basic take. But uh, and lastly, watch the curse. It's finished. It's over. Final episode. Oh my Jesus! Have you seen it, Carson? I have. Yeah. Fuck me. Oh, just oh. It's out of this world, you could say. Yes, it's very uplifting. So I would highly recommend it to people. Watch it. <laughs> that was a good one. I will say, if anyone wants my thoughts on Buster Keaton, we did a whole one th- November. We did a silent showdown series here on the podcast did, where we yeah. compared him and um, Chaplin. I'm a Chaplin stan. I don't really like Keep Buster Keaton. So I prefer Chaplin. Like... Yeah, yeah, Chaplin's where it's at. Um, I just watched one of his short films this week, but um, you can really break my viewing this week down into three categories: Pedro Almodovar, which I'll say kind of mixed on most of them. Laws of Desire pretty good, though I will say, for anyone who hasn't seen um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, didn't watch it this week. But also, Nick, I didn't realize at the time, we have a John Couture connection between him and Almodovar, so like that's, if you follow our screaming that no one watched those episodes, but like, you know what? It was meaningful for us, so I'm happy for that. That's what it's all about. Um, That's what it's all about. Right. I've been working on this article for Clapper about uh, gay porn, and I re- uh, visited some Wakefield Pool films, specifically Boys in the Sand. I really love that film as an exploration of queer desire. Um, I have a list on Letterboxd that is Carson Tamar's personal canon, where it's just all the films that like really speak to me in this really deep way, whether it's a memory I have with them or something thematic within them. That film got added to that list this week, so I'm very happy for that. Um, and then finally, because I've just... like. Award season's over. I don't want to go watch all these new releases. I don't, you know, Beekeeper, I'm sorry, Jakob, have it. I don't need it. Um, so I have been going through the letterbox list, um, top 250 films are like the most fans because it's just super oh, popular wow. films that I haven't, and I can kind of see what I haven't seen. I'm not going to lie, I've been kind of disappointed. Um, I'm not surprised. I've seen some I, of those look, lists. <laughs> it's, it's part of it. It's... Well, I think I have unpopular opinions on some of them. I finally watched The Great Lebowski, and I loved the main character, hated the film. I thought it was the most annoying film. Had to turn it off. Fair. Um, It was awful. Um, I was pretty mixed on... Well, I thought Superbad was fun. I did enjoy Superbad, which I watched off that list. Um, I don't know. It's been kind of... Lost in Translation, Sofia Coppola, I just don't think is my director. I really like... I don't know. And I know Jakob... That shocks me. And I know a lot of people love it. Um, every film of hers, I go in and I'm like, it's fine. It's she's a very like three and three and a half star director for me, kind of like Pedro Almodovar, where there are some that peek through. I think On the Rock specifically is actually quite fantastic. Um, I don't know this one just 
was fine. So I don't know, not to have, throw out bad opinions at the end here, but just not for me. I'm shocked on the um, Coppola thing for you because I, I think of a director who's who's not only very feminine, but looks and, and really showcases that story very interestingly. I'm surprised that Jacob is the stand and you're not, 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 in, in, not in the sense of, of, of like queen or something like that. But I think yeah. Coppola is very soft in how she puts forward really difficult themes. I don't know if that's what you do, you, you reject or not, but I, I'm shocked that, because I remember when you, I was watching like random shit and you were like, this is a very strange um, last few reviews. I think you mentioned on a, on a, one of my reviews and I, I did the same for you. And I was like, Percy Jackson thing, super bad. The big Lebowski is like, I don't know what's going on. I may, I may DM. I might, I might, I just reach out. But that, now that makes sense. I'm, I'm glad. Um, but yeah, the Coppola things. Like, oof. have you seen everything of hers? For her, not everything. I still need to see uh, Mary Antoinette, and I, I think there's a couple. Somewhere, more, but I've seen. Have most you seen of somewhere? Her yeah, I've seen somewhere. Okay. Mm. A lot of it is just like I like the premise. Is I don't know. I guess I can kind of like specify on my thoughts of priscilla which are all which is a lot of her films where she has a worthwhile thing to say and she says it in those first 10 minutes and then you just kind of sit there and watch the characters reinforce it over it just it's not engaging to me i don't think it evolves necessarily i think on the rocks is one of her few films where like it actually evolves in statement it actually grows um i think it's just a lot of meandering not really saying a lot or rather saying a lot but saying the same thing over and over again that just bores me she's a vibe just not my filmmaker yeah, it's just not yeah. for me. I, I uh, respect everyone. Yeah, I, I mean, I I agree, but I think she's evolved into that because I think that's just I think how how, how she is now at where where she's in her life. I think that's definitely it. I've just from someone who's watched Marie Antoinette, um, the, the 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 fact that that's like her third film, and um, what she does there to Crazy. showcase a, a teenager to to become an adult in a space of two hours and do it in a certain way where everything's color, but then have like this gleam and under, their underbelly is like really quite scary. I think you'll vibe with that. I mean, if you've not liked anything else, I'm not going to put money on it or anything like that, but I think... I actually think I will... My prediction is I'm going to like that one. Like, I fully expect I so to like too. it. And it's not yeah. that I hate her work. Like, I think the bling ring is fun. Like, oh, I, yeah. I think it's good. It's just never... Not one of my, like, favorites. But, I think she changed Which is the, the case ring. for a lot of people. Yeah, I think she changed after the bling ring. Because I think... Like, even The Beguiled is a very slow, very cold, hollow film. It's, I think it's a, it's a masterpiece in its own right. But she definitely changed tune after the bling ring in 2013 and then made very much highbrow, sophisticated cinema. Because she was um she was very tongue-in-cheek how she made films in like the after after Lost in Translation, even that. Like she aims at aims at, at Spike Jones in it, but it's like really having a developing relationship, wonderful score, quite a fun film. And then she does again Marion Antoinette, and then again she does somewhere as well between them, and then she does the bling ring. I think it's something in between there as well. Um she, it's interesting like, what happened to because I think she just had a, had a oh god this gonna sound terrible but I think she just had a life and it just changed her viewpoint really interestingly like it does a lot of people I just find it fascinating if you watch that in um, context of watching someone evolve it's like perfectly um, you know like it resembles someone who just like saw things in a different life once you got to a point of like having children or or like just sort of like, I always want to make what I want to do now. Because the bling ring, when you watch fucking Priscilla, is like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's like the 2013 and then the 2023, like it's it's fascinating to me. But anyway, I don't mean to do really. I just thought that's fascinating. You're I think she screams a filmmaker who, as she goes forward, starts to like, um, 
how do I say this like respectfully? She believes she starts to like really buy into, I feel like her own weight and hype of her films. There's a difference there between like, I feel like Priscilla, I would, I kind of like, I don't know. I'm happy we didn't do a Priscilla episode, but there's so much talk about that film as far as like a developmental standpoint. She watched Elvis and was like, I have to tell this story. And she rushed that out as like a reaction piece, which I think is like wild to do. But I feel like that's very telling the fact that she felt like she had to enter production. She had to bring the story to life as like putting that on her shoulders. I don't know. I just feel like it's very interesting, but that's I mean, just think, me. Yeah, the same thing happened to her father as well, if he wanted to go there, but we're not going to. The same thing happened to uh, no. Mr. Coppola as well. Although 2026, Sofia Coppola yeah, go, retrospective. Go, go do go buy his wine, though, because we do need to have that film come out. So go well, buy his wine. Let's it's, fund It's funny Metropolis. you say that, because I'm going to start having drinks on Uncut Gems now, because it really did fuck me up on, on Friday. So speaking of wine, I'm going to have to get... I will, I'll, I'll, I'll check the... I'll check the price on Amazon and I'll try to get a bottle. Get it? the sampling one. I know there's like a kit of like six or seven wines and you can combine them to like a movie and watch them together. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think if I start drinking wine on this, I'd enjoy it. I'd say some things I shouldn't say and I think I'd just start enjoying myself like to a point where like we're very open with each other on here but like once a bottle of wine goes in red, it's like Maybe we would, we would have to get the bleep machine. <laughs> anyway, just go on, Gazan, before anyone starts saying anything. Yeah, well, before we get into where we're going to get a lawsuit, um, let's find where we can find each other on social media. Nick? You can find me avoiding lawsuits on Twitter and Instagram at NickyGran97. And you can watch my short films and videos on YouTube and Vimeo to enjoy the movies. And of course, all the writings on Clapper, uh, the posts on Clapper's Instagram, Clapper LTD, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good stuff. Not to put Nick over, but like if you've not watched his short films that he mentions every episode, you really should go watch them because I yes. promise you, like they're genuinely good. Believe me, I've had friends, I've had people on this very podcast try to be like, go watch my <laughs> short film, and like they're not good. And you have to be like, yeah, like okay, they're good, go watch them. You know, you give them a heart on Letterbox, but like Nick's films are good. I would recommend you go see them if you've not already. You. Like I don't know, they're worth a while actually, um, which you can't say about everyone. Jack, where can we find you on social media? Well, you can also um, find me avoiding libel lawsuits on Twitter and uh, Clapper and Letterboxd, so the username at Jack Luke Sharp. And I'll also go again. Nick, you've been my friend for almost like a, probably almost a decade now. I think you've got a wonderful texture as a filmmaker and the fact that you want to do a PhD and not make a feature film um, <laughs> really makes me annoyed. But uh, more to you. But you're, you're, I, I, I do also second that every time I can share it, every time I can show them. Go watch stuff. Go watch The Phantom Touch. Realize him as a filmmaker. Give him the push that he needs to go make a feature film. Max out those credit cards, Nick. Come on. Working hard. It's actually like <laughs> it's actually a shame. I don't like. I don't know if people can go watch Phantom Touch, but to watch that and be like, "There's not a feature film like career of this guy," and go watch like is annoying. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. Um, so I'd, I would love you to go do that. Go ruin your life. Don't do the PhD. I'm, do the I'm probably gonna ruin my life later this year. I started pre-production officially in a short film. Contacted actors. First draft of the script is ready. You know, it's gonna be a horror romance. Very, oh, wow. very, oh, wow. very graphic. <laughs> Just know that. Well, <laughs> I don't, I don't, it's, it's, it's verging into like Cronenberg and Julia Ducournau territory. So it's going to be dangerous in that sense. It's not going to be oh, for no. everyone. <laughs> can show it to my grandparents. Yeah. yeah, from an Italian oh, yeah. filmmaker, that frightens me. That'd be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a European. I'm European. That's, that's oh, what she said. Oh. Yeah. I used to be able to say that. Uh, you can find me. Oh. 
government. Okay. No, I, I, I'm yeah. going to a Brexit thing. I used to be able to say that. Now, now, now I'm, I'm just English, which is just disappointing. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at BP underscore movie reviews, Letterbox Carson Tamar, and Blue Sky Carson Tamar, I guess, though there's really no reason to follow me there. Um, thank you so much for listening and watching. This was a fun episode, two and a half hours on Almodovar. Hopefully, you know, Pedro, I'm sorry that. It really wasn't a celebration, but you know what? That's fine. Uh, we'll see you back in two weeks when we discuss Damien Chazelle's Babylon as the start of my birthday series. So we'll see you then. Goodbye.